Hi, Jimmy here. I was going to say welcome to a very special episode of Shoulders of Giants, but really I'm saying welcome to a ridiculous episode of Shoulders of Giants. We are today covering a text that, uh, well, has had a profound impact, particularly on Sheppy's life, but also on mine, uh, the Incredible Hulk TV series. So strap yourself in. It's a big one. It's epic. The sound quality, well, look, it's pretty good. At the very beginning, we do overlap one another a couple of times, um, and there's a couple of little moments of patchiness, but otherwise, hope that you uh, enjoy our tribute to a 70s TV classic. Dr. David Banner, physician, scientist, searching for a way to tap into the hidden strengths that all humans have. Then an accidental overdose of gamma radiation alters his body chemistry. And now when David Banner grows angry or outraged, a startling metamorphosis occurs. creature is driven by rage and pursued by an investigative reporter. Mr. McGee, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. The creature is wanted for a murder he didn't commit. David Banner is believed to be dead. And he must let the world think that he is dead until he can find a way to control the raging spirit that dwells within him. talk today Sheppy. i mean no i guess we just we should just dive straight in really <laughs> huge jimmy huge love it any chance of being sub four hours you know i mean strap in shoulders of giants listeners this is uh you know we'll get to intros and top end but by way of tease for this whole thing Sheppy, like this is I mean, this cannot be underestimated how mega this is. Like, I, I don't know what my equivalent of this would be, but you've you've played it, maybe not the Ace of Spades, or maybe the Ace of Spades for yourself. <laughs> like, I, and then it's it's not just sort of the play in the card. It's then, you know, I've obviously felt a degree of pressure to try and come up with something semi decent, uh, but. but for your own record, for the record books, Sheppy, for you to try and do this. I'm excited about what you come up with, and I just, it's, it's, this is going to be extraordinary. That's all I can say. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm loving it. I'm, I'm loving it, Jimmy. It's true, you know, for the 20th episode of this fair podcast, I chose Star Wars with the biggie. This one I've kind of just dropped in, but you're right. I mean, it's been on my mind. Uh, you know, as a candidate for a while, it seemed like the right moment to do it. It counts as 70s, because even though it went into the 80s, it never lost the feel of when it started, and it still looked 70s. So so that's good. So I, I'm counting that as, as a 70s entry, as a rare change from the 80s for me. So that's nice. Um, and yeah, it is. It's, it's, a, it's a biggie on a personal level. And in terms of my personal ace of my existence 
No, it probably sums it up. That probably is the largest ace I would have to play on a personal level. Yeah. Incredible Hulk, baby. <laughs> Sorry, I took that your Hulk, baby. I'll have to edit that because that was a lovely build-up. <laughs> it was spontaneous, I assure you. Let's say the yes, well, let's just jump in. Yeah. Well, welcome so, to Shoulders of Giants. I'm Jimmy. Yeah. Hello, I'm Sheppy. I'm totally talked over your introduction, so it's a total mess from the get-go, which doesn't really? bode well for our choppy future, because we do have a, a lot to uh, to smash through. Um, so, But it's, it's all very good stuff. Yeah, so I'll just come out with it. Yesterday, I, for today's episode, I selected The Incredible Hulk from the TV show, which ran, I believe, from 77 to 82. And it's it's a big one for me because, I you know, it's, it's a, well, it's a hell of a show. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm excited, but specifically what I chose was the finale writing um, the end of the show, it ran for five seasons and then it just stopped. Um, and as a show, it was very much bottleneck or, you know, rather standalone episodes each, you know, bottle episodes, if you will. There, there was very little connective tissue narratively. You could watch any episode in any order, basically. And they might have the occasional reference to shit, generally not. And each episode always followed the same sort of template. Um, and the bloke who came up with the whole show, Dennis Johnson, who had also worked on, he was he did, he created, as far as I'm aware, The Bionic Man. It was a superhero show without being a direct superhero show um, from, you know, mid-70s. And he followed this, you know, very good formulaic structure of, you know, banners in a different place. And, and the only connection between episodes really was McGee and his connection to Banner. Everything else was standalone. Kenneth Johnson did have a plan in his mind of how he wanted the show to end. He did have a definitive story idea, but then the studio, like about three quarters of the way through season five, were like, you know what, that's it. Everyone home, that's great, bye. And they're like, wait, well, can I at least have a two-parter to finish? And they're like, nope, that's fine, see ya. And he was like, oh dear. Um, and so, you know, so it just ends. Um, so it's So I thought, yeah, a nice two-parter set, you know, in 82 slash 83, made in that time, but very kind of specific, really. Um, and yeah, how it could perceivably be capped. In a sense, it would be like a sequel to the pilot, which is a very specific storyline um, as well. That's the only, you know, that's a sort of a logical way of, you know, it has to in some way be, you know, address that, those themes and so on, finish things off, finish off how it was started, as it were. So, you know, so that's exciting. Um, and so that's what I set, Jimbo. Um, anything you would like to add to that? Um, oh, on the setting, well, I guess you said that we also, you also set a bit of homework on this one and a few yes. episodes to watch too, which we'll come to. But yeah, and interestingly, Sheppy, I mean, with those episodes, I... You know, I'll give you my little surprise now. I managed to get through the the mandatory episodes and then one ex one optional extra, and then I I did. And this is kind of 
it will make you happy and make you very angry too. So I hope we stay sort of at the very least in that sort of weird mid-banner transformation for you because it's a little sacrilegious, but time has not been my friend on this one. Um, but I, I I skimmed through the first half and then watched the second of the pilot as well. So I, I basically have done a chunk of that because exactly to your point, I think it needs to be cap that. It needs to count. Nice. Oh, well, that doesn't make me angry at all. That makes me very, very happy. Oh. I thought you were going to say you'd watch The Return of the Incredible Hulk, which is a whole <laughs> different bag of chestnuts and, of course, has to be avoided. Um, you know, that's because we, we, we should talk about that. Late 80s, early 90s, they made a trilogy of TV movies to cap it off, but it wasn't with Kenneth Johnson. And 80s television looks so much worse than 70s television. Same with Doctor Who. Same with everything. 70s is gritty and grainy. 80s is really horrible. And just sort of like, boop, hello, like, ah. Um, so a bit beige, a bit beige, Jimbo. So that's what I like about the original show. So the, the ones that were made, and two of them were directed by Bixby. And what the first one was directed by Nicholas Career, who directed all the best episodes from the show. But still, it looks like it's 80s and then into the early 90s, that sort of feel. It's really cheap, so horrible. Um, and it does have a definitive ending. And there is an, you know, it's, there's, the first one is the return of the Incredible Hulk. It's Hulk meets Thor, McGee's in it, and it follows the same sort of pattern. And then it's the trial of the Incredible Hulk, and he meets Daredevil. And each of them were obviously intended to be backdoor pilots, potentially for their own shows, which never happened. And then the third one was the death of the Incredible Hulk, and is and and at the end, spoilers, he dies. Um, but it's like he dies in a kind of a shitty way, and he jumps out of a plane and just falls and dies. Did you ever see that? Did you? I don't. We we must have watched a Sheppy, but no, I don't think we did. Stuck. Oh, really? I mean, even we... if I have, it hasn't stuck. So, I, yeah. I think we watched Return of the Incredible Hulk because we found it in that weird random video shop right up the north end of oh, England. I mean, yes, we bloody did. I mean, we should, before we get to that story, I, I wanted to give two memories of the Hulk, both involving, obviously, a good self. And Well, I think know, we should get the, yeah. that trilogy out of the way just because it doesn't count as proper incredible Okay. Hulk. Well, for the story, it though, it has to be understood how obsessed you were with the Incredible Hulk, how much the Incredible Hulk Returns was a myth in the playground, that it was out there somewhere as a thing. You know, this is before the internet, obviously. And then you and I, as we're moping about Guildford High Street, go to the video store, I guess, just to look at the videos. <laughs> it was a rental place. Yeah, we yeah, weren't we, even... We, we weren't members. Yeah. No, it was in a really random place, nowhere near where we lived. There were video shops that we went to near where we lived. So it was really, really, but we were just there. It was opposite the old cinema, up right up the top of Guildford, up this hill. And we just went in. It was like in between Chinese takeouts. And yeah, and then I saw the turn of the Incredible Hulk. And in seeing that, if I just don't think there's an actor out there, certainly child actor out there, that could pull off the Charlie Bucket golden ticket in, in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory look and feel of that video in your hands when he gets that first golden ticket. Like, 
I, it was amazing. Like you were so excited. I was so happy for you. And the, then... the five minute song and dance routine I launched into up Guildford High Street was a bit badly judged. I didn't get as many people behind me on that one as I was hoping for. <laughs> I thought I was going full Charlie Bucket. Instead, I kicked the bucket. So it was... <laughs> weirdly you got some diegetic music though I thought it should be you know people joined in and the, the local buskers yeah, yeah you know. it was half-hearted at best it was really embarrassing <laughs> but I want to we'll have to ask your mum one day I'd like to think we got the bus back to Cranley we got your mum out of bed and then dragged her back to the video shop in Guildford yeah. and had to become a member to yeah. get the video out The lady from the shop came out to her in the car and she was like parked halfway up the hill. She had to lean over the passenger seat and wind down the window and have a conversation with the lady saying, I can't park because it's fucked up up here. But can you make me a member of your weird video shop? And she's like, what do you have any idea? She was like, do that. So angry, so angry. And then, yeah, and then we got Return of the Incredible Hulk. This would have been, I'm guessing, 1989, yeah. maybe 1990. And I don't really remember much about that either, Sheppy, apart from our man on his chair. Yeah, that's yeah, it, really. Yeah, the guy who spins in his chair which became a massive thing for us, blown right out of proportion, of course. But it was a fight between Thor and the Hulk, a fist fight, and yet we always talk about this guy spinning on his chair. Weird shit. It's weird shit. I can't even remember what that version of Thor looks like. That iteration, I couldn't even tell you really. Yeah. Whenever I think of yeah. another iteration of Thor, I go to Adventures of Babysitting first, just for the record. Yeah. Which was, which is uh, Vincent and Ophrio. Kingpin had previously played Thor. So well, that's, that's really that's nice. Yes, yeah, yeah. solid shit. Solid shit. Uh, oh, so, nice. in case of, you know, in terms of, yeah, and then with her, uh, the trial of the Incredible Hulk is him meeting Daredevil. And I actually saw this relatively recently because I was re-watching Daredevil, the Matt, you know, Matt, Matt, uh, Charlie Cox um, show with Vincent D'Onofrio and Kingpin. And between seasons of like one and two, as a laugh, we what they showed Marta the trial of the Incredible Hulk and, and didn't tell her that Daredevil was in it. And then he's just in it. Wait a minute, he's blind. Oh, wait, he's a lawyer. Oh, fuck, is that Matt Murdock? Oh, no. And then isn't that Salah from Raiders of the Lost Ark? Oh, shit, that's Kingpin. Oh, my God, that's crazy. So watching it through that prism was really cool. That's nice. And it's, it's all, it is, you know, it's, it's the best of that, of those three. It's easily the best. It does have a sacrilegious ending where he doesn't turn into the whole banner, stays banner, and it's then the Daredevil film. And that's not satisfying as a whole thing. But I guess they were playing the Daredevil. Like, this is definitely going to be a TV show. See ya. And the guy who played Matt Murdock is the guy who played Street Hawk. So they fucking oh, go. that's awesome. Yeah. That makes me very yeah. happy. That's good stuff. Rex Smith, I think the actor's name, which is, you couldn't make it up. Rex Smith. Well, so anyway, where do we go next, Sheppy? And ask. So let's go happen. right back to the beginning. Let's just, yeah, I just wanted to cut off because we have to, of course, mention those films that did, in a sense, trap. Yeah, but I don't count it as canon. But it looks different. It feels different. Even the Hulk's relationship to people is different. Like he punches people. <laughs> he punches a ninja in the face in Trial of the Hulk, which is great to see. But if the TV version did that, it would take you know the guy's face would explode. So he's always just throwing people up trees and shit. So with that in mind, let's go back to the beginning and go, right, 
The Incredible Hulk TV show, 1977 to 1982. What What are your memories of that from, uh, you know, your earliest memories from that show? I, I remember which show. In 77. Yeah. We were born the same year as the show. We are the same, you and I. We are <laughs> brothers. So that's all right. <laughs> Um, I remember the pilot, Sheppy. I remember it being on telly. I remember recording it and taking the pin out with excitement from my little VHS uh, tape. Higher accolade. Uh, Yeah, well, you'd think it would be safe, but we'll come to that in a minute. Um, And then um, I, uh, yeah, and and then, you know, was, was a fan, was a fan of the show and watched it, you know, even before we met, I was a fan of it. And, um, you know, it was staple Saturday night fodder, wasn't it? Really, um, yeah. when when it when it rolled around for us, ITV, ITV. Yes, yes. And, uh, now, yeah. I should just want to interject quickly by saying my own personal relationship with the TV show was from a very early age when I was like four. I remember being on TV and I was scared of it. And I did not like it, and I was scared of the Hulk. And so when the Hulk was on there, I was run out of the room. Just like that blue Muppet cut from the beginning, you know, the Muppets when his ears go up. That was terrifying me as well. Nonetheless, so when I was that age, I remember being at like a big barbecue at someone's house with a swimming pool. Very nice. I was running around the place having fun. I was playing with a boy. And then we ran into like the lounge and the Incredible Hulk was on. And it was when he was in a wrestling ring. It was like throwing a wrestler all over the place. And and my, the guy I was playing with, you know, we were like six was like, oh, cool, The Incredible Hulk. I went and watched it. I was like, oh, no. And I had to go off and play with myself because um, I didn't want to go watch the Hulk because I was scared of the Hulk. So that's my earliest relationship to the Hulk is, yeah, I was scared. But then at a certain point, I became fascinated by it. And then we were in London and I saw it. Well, no, no, actually first it was on TV and that would, I bet, be the same version that you saw. And I too taped it, the pilot of the Incredible Hulk. And then a few years later, ITV in the late 80s repeated the original show on Saturday, the tea time, perfect time. And then I taped them. And this is, of course, when we were like 12, but this was much older. You know, the big difference is a double regeneration, I would say, between five and 12. And so then you're like full on it. And then I was really, really in Hulk's heaven. But then years later, I got the chance to buy every episode on DVD. I have to say dodgy DVD. This was like 2005. And for 20 quid, I got all of them. And um, they had weird adverts in the middle. Me and Steve Howe and sometimes Dr. Mike would watch them. We worked away from all of them. And that was nice. That's awesome. Um, so do you but, think right but, now, Sheppy, you could like I give you the episode title and you you'd know exactly? No, 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 no not at all. Some of them I'm very familiar with, and some of them I've seen relatively recently, like in the last few years. Because you know, it should be said that the Incredible Hulk, you know, it, it it is what it is, and obviously we're focusing very much on all the strengths, and we'll continue to talk about those. I should just say as a disclaimer. There is shit which gets into episodes, sometimes the pacing, sometimes the acting, sometimes there's like a little comic moment that's really cringeworthy with the whole choice of fuck a deer or something. And a lot of that, you know, doesn't quite work. And but generally, 
the quality is very high, the writing is of a much higher standard than you would necessarily associate with a late 70s superhero show. And the acting is on a much higher level. And also Bixby, the leading man, is much more talented than a show like that deserves. It's, yeah. you know, he's really good and, and he plays that very well. So, so that's, that's nice. What, Completely what else? agree with all of that, Sheppy. Just as a quick aside on the revisit, absolutely agree with that. And yeah, I, I think the the writing, particularly on Mystery Man, was really excellent. So we'll get to all of that in a bit. But just to say, yeah, you're right. That was really good. Um, yes. Well, so so that was a quick little tangent. But in terms of the original show of The Hulk, then, do you remember it when you were like four and five, like when I was scared of it? No, I think I'm remembering the reboot because I'm pretty right. sure it wasn't long before long after the reboot that we met you know what I mean and then yeah, yeah. so I think um, oh no I believe we had already met with them we, I mean by reboot of course you repeats, yeah. the late 80s yeah. repeats I think those were 88 89 so okay. we met early 88 so yeah it was right around that time but not yet aha and that of course actually so self-indulgent but that is really why we're all here of course you and I meeting, we should now talk about, because you took the pin out of your videotape that you had recorded when the pilot of The Incredible Hulk was shown on ITV, and I guess my dad taped it, you taped it, and that was the version that I watched, and that's what got me into the Hulk, not being scared of it, and I was like in between, so I was like seven. And I was in London going to see... I don't know, fucking Starlight Express, it's not impossible. Or maybe it was, and then there were none, with the guy from Few Eyes Only in it. Nonetheless, I saw it in a shop, and I said, oh, can I get that, please, Mum? And she said, okay. Because I had it taped off TV, um, but it said written on it, um, Carnegie Hall, but it was scrawled, written on the tape. And so I just thought it said Incredible Hulk, because it looked like it might be that. Um, but it's a Carnegie Hall, so I had this tape, and I loved it, and I watched it for ages, and at a certain point, someone, I guess it was my sister, and it's not her fault, because it said Carnegie Hall on it, put it in and taped over it with something saying, I don't need Carnegie Hall anymore. And I was like, oh no, like the first hour of the pilot had been taped over, and it was like, ah, oh, that's terrible. And then sometime a few months, maybe a year later, in London, saw it, 9 I was like, mum, do us a solid, and she did. <laughs> and it was very nice and I appreciated it. And so I had it bought for nine ninety nine in a case. One of those hard cases you open up. Fucking satisfying. Um, and I kept the nine ninety nine sick one forever. So that's Total redemption from the Ruskies there. That's happy for now. That's good. Right. Yeah, right. It's it's the Rusky Redemption, which is the <laughs> name of my next podcast. But um so in terms of your TV version, what was its fate, Jimbo? What was its fate? Well, I, I don't think we should disclose the fate without telling our story, Sheppy, because, you know, and I think the story needs to come from me to start with, if you'll indulge me back, Please. because I started a brand new school. I, I've come to the area from London, bumped from one school after about 10 months or so. I wasn't really settling in. The oh, like a, like a begotten evacuee. I see you in your little box, your little label. Yeah. I'm sort of walking around the playground, 
alone in the first break of my first day at the new school. You can hear the clinking piano of David Banner over the top. You know, mix <laughs> <laughs> of Charlie Brown. And um, <laughs> across the playground, Sheppy obviously sees me. You can insert your own thing retrospectively <laughs> in a moment, and uh, <laughs> and. Um, and, and comes to my rescue, you know, and I think, oh, here he is, this man on his white steed um, to come <laughs> and be my friend. And uh, the first thing that comes says that Sheppy says, little did we know we'd have, you know, God, what are we now, Sheppy? 33 plus years of friendship. And the first thing that comes out of your mouth is, have you got the Incredible Hulk on video? <laughs> <laughs> I think there was a comma and then my sister taped over mine possibly or am i am i getting that wrong was it i don't know stop? whether you gave me yours but what what probably bonded us was my immediate responses nah sister taped over it there. Yeah. and i yeah, think the fate was beatrix potter's ballet and i don't think it was anywhere near as a carnegie hall mishap anywhere near <laughs> as nice as that it was a sellotape over sellotape. the top of this hulk shit and <laughs> give it some potter oh, <laughs> That is some that's some harsh godfather godfather style shit, man. That's waiting in the back of the car with a with a screwdriver. Yeah, no, no, no thanks. That is hardcore. Um, yeah, it was you, Jimmy. I always knew it was you. So, so your sister maliciously insult to injury not only taped over the Planet of the Infinite Hog, but she did it with Beatrix Potter, a giant fucking mouse. That's the yeah, bullshit. That kind of thing. I remember there was a right. dancing frog on the front. Oh, anyway, I'm all for it. I'm all for it because, yes, right. So I said, and I like how you give me sort of this street stuff cockney accent. You got incredible. Oh, God, yeah. Vinnie uh, <laughs> Jones. I believe I probably sauntered over and gave you a bit of a nose face and said, in a sort of a Bertie Worcester sort of thing, like, I say what? Have you got any of that sweet, sweet <laughs> action, man? I'm jonesing for the green, I said, clearly, in the playground. I'm jonesing for the green. And you said, sorry. And you said, you better hurry up, what's home, put your pocket watch back in, you know, <laughs> yes. a few more mins before teeth yes. is out. <laughs> I'm, I'm tuckered. Um, and yeah, and you'll, say, and you'll say, right, no, sorry. My sister did over, and I said, by heck, my yonder sister did likewise. Let's bond further and invent Jaws 19 immediately. So, yeah, um, would we have really become... that thread, Sheppy? I should probably be a little scrappy chimney sweep, still from London town, you know, yes. like still still haven't been cultured by the southern uh, counties. Yeah. Well, I come cut yeah. over on my horse from my southern <laughs> state. Ruffian, I'll give you a huppence if you show my wickle. Yeah, she writes itself. So not quite, but no, generally, I remember, yeah. So would we have played Jaws 19 and then Beverly Hills Pop 17 in the playground if not for that initial transaction? Yes, I think probably. But it's nice to think that your sister's malicious actions of sellotaping over the tagless credible hob and taping over was um, maybe what eventually brought us. And she, Sam Beckett, hid into herself and told her to tape over that 
and that is how we would meet. That's nice. There you go. She's an evil lethal with a heart. It you works. Know, uh, that's my you... next podcast. I wish we'd done this 10 years ago, Shep. It would have saved me a fortune in therapy, but you know, that's, that's a really lovely way to look at it. <laughs> um, <laughs> there you go. Um, cool. So, so let me say this then. When the show did come back on in the late 80s, and we both watched it on a Saturday afternoon, and I, I think, you know, I, I think it's safe to say that I took it more seriously. And if you missed an episode, you wouldn't have been crying into your cornflakes on Sunday morning. So, so do you remember any of those episodes from the late 80s? Repeat? Well, I mean, I wouldn't have been able to tell you the titles or anything, Sheps, but I certainly, on, on rewatch, uh, Equinox, wasn't it? The, the the one that you gave me as a little treat, which we watched yes. together, which was wonderful. Maybe we just park it for now in terms of yeah. the moment. I had vague when I got into Mystery Man, I had a vague recollection of that. And there's sort of a it's easy. It, maybe we should touch on this now, Sheppy or not. I don't know whether you want to, but Bixby's performance, you talked about it already, but like there's something very taciturn about it, isn't there? Something like he has a very special charisma about him that no one that's attempted banner since has really captured it like that have they really you know and i think um and i know we're talking about bruce and david but the same bloody character isn't it and yes I, so i think yeah. the um you know i uh i think this you could, and the reason i'm bringing that up now is just this little gestures things he does the way he is with people like that just feel very familiar to me when he does them you know and i guess when you're a kid, you're very you're soaking all this stuff in, aren't you? You know, so you're kind of, yeah. There's not really another character on telly that's like him, I would say, yeah. because I guess they're really trying to give the yin to Hulk's yang or whatever. You know, they're really trying to make him very peaceful and kind of nice and sensitive and all that sort of thing. And so it makes for a very Scott, interesting leading man, doesn't it? Scott back in a you know Sam Beckett has certain i think is influenced very much so in that regard they are quite similar in many ways and they're both very yeah. right and so on so yeah but yeah you're right if i may make a very quick observation the pilot episode is quite different to the rest of the show not yeah. least bixby's performance as banner is very hard in the pilot like the character of banner very hard very serious very stern all the way through um, and of you know he's mourning his wife and everything, and it's good. And it has this tragic ending where the woman dies, and she says to him, "I've always he says to the Hulk, I've always loved you. Um, I guess you know, but um, you know, I'm sure you know that I love you." And then she dies, and Hulk's like, "Rah!" And then at the end, Banner's at her grave, and he says, "I love you. I think you love me too, even though you never said it." And it's like, "Oh, that's fucking tragic, man." That's so, you know, so that, and that's the other doctor who they were obviously, they were told they were at medical school together and they were probably like a group. She probably liked him, but then he got together with this other woman and they fell in love. They got engaged, they got married, she died, and now she's left as this nothing can ever happen between us. It's the Beverly Crusher, John Luke Picard scenario. Um, but she loves him, and, and maybe if the Hulk thing had never happened, they would have ended up together, maybe eventually. 
that he just needed to lighten up. Anyway, my whole original point is he's a very hard character, whereas in the, in the show proper, he's like you say, he's much softer, he's much more likable, he's much nicer um, on every level. And, and my reasoning for that is, well, they need to be likable for the show, but also my fan wank, if you will, is that he's been humbled, He's somehow set free. He's been a Jack Reacher. He's wandering the land. He feels like he's paying some sort of penance. On the other hand, he's getting some sort of spiritual satisfaction from this. And in some way, he knows that he's making people's lives better. And I think actually when he hulks out, when he comes back and de-hulks, I reckon Banner feels like a million bucks. His system's all cleaned out. That little bit of a cold has totally disappeared. That cut on his finger with the splinter, that's gone. He's, he's great and he feels very rested and he's like wonderful. So I think that really helps his disposition as well. He, he's always at his top physical peak and he's working manually, being like the deep, still waters run deep. And everyone fucking fancies him pulling the spot. Which is ridiculous in some... Very popular with the ladies. But I I think, you know, by 70s standards, he's very, very handsome. Um, And I think a lot of female viewers, and obviously in the show, people like him sometimes, you know, usually if someone likes him romantically or sexually, he denies it. Says no, because everyone keeps dying or I fucking fancy. But then eventually, every now and again, you know, you get used to having these sad endings where he's playing gling, 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 lonely man plays and he goes off down to be hitchhiking. He's like, I can't be with you, I must leave. But sometimes, one time specifically, I'm thinking of Kenneth Johnson, I think actually did this episode and he's like, you know what? Just this once, let's give Baron a break. And right at the end, the girl's like, why don't you stay a few nights with me at the motel? And he's like, well, I really should be getting along, but you know what? Why not? And he's like, da, 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 and he goes off to have sex. It's wonderful. So every now and again, something nice does actually happen for Banner. So, so that's all right. He's rewarded. Uh, so, so I like that very much. Um, and that's something else. Was there anything else? Um, did I detract from a point? At no, point? no, Sheppy. I love it. I have one other theory. He definitely slept with one of the ladies in the episodes you gave me as well. Right. Definitely. Well, we can, we can definitely get to that. Let me just say this also. The, the structure to every episode was usually identical you would start banner would be you know people think he's dead so he's changed his name he's on the run yeah journalist mr mcgee is trying to chase him but he thinks banner's gone down and he's just obsessed with finding the hulk and you know banner's always in a new place sometimes it's the city sometimes it's the countryside a carnival limitless possibilities jerry limitless and he goes on these adventures and usually about 20 minutes in it's beaten up he turns into the hole, he throws some men up trees. Sometimes he tries to fuck a deer or something and he makes friends with a little boy. And then he de-hulks and then the adventure continues, he steals some clothes and he gets back to normal. And then at, at the end, he hulks out again. So he always hulks out about 20 minutes, 25 minutes in, and then for the last 10 minutes, and then you have the kind of where he goes, goes off down the road again. Um, and it was always usually identical. With, and there were some two parties, and but every now and again, they did do something interesting and just tweak it and he would hulk at a different moment. And that was always quite exciting when they broke their own, you know, very strict formulaic rules. But it was nice. Yeah. So, so good stuff. 
Nice. And it's iconic in its own way, Sheppy, isn't it? Like Ferrigno as the Hulk is iconic. Yeah. It's wicked. Very small yeah. point. But have you seen that I Love You Man with uh, Paul Rudd? And oh my God, I'm forgetting his name now. The big Talk fellow the that did the Muppets. Yeah, perfect. And uh, yeah, and they, they go to Louis Ferrigno's house at one point and they, there's a big Hulk statue there that's quite cool. And it yeah, I do remember that. I, I did see that at some point. Yeah, fair enough. Lou Frigno gotta eat. He's not making that Terminator money. So yeah, no fair play. <laughs> I did a bit um, of um, also sorry, Sheppy. Well, I was gonna say he was in your commando TV show. So he did great was, on that one. He did okay, he was very, very happy, very happy. Um he uh I was going to say as well, just on the Googleage stuff, like I did a quick deep dive into Bill Bixby, man. Like he had a very tragic life, Sheppy. I don't know if yes, you knew that about I him. I do, like, I do. Yeah. And his wife. Treated, oh, man. Shot herself. And that's, and yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's worth saying at this point that Bill Bixby was married to this actress. And she, uh, they lost their seven-year-old son, I believe. Yeah. And she killed herself after they got divorced. Um, and this was all during the show as well, which is why he's absent now. So, and in the um, and it's terrible. She's also the actress who's in an episode um, with Bixby, in an episode called The Psychic. And this little spoiler ahead, this character makes an appearance in my two-part finale. Mm. But in reality, she might be dead or that she might have just got divorced from baby. Maybe, you know, let's, you know, so, you know, without being disrespectful, it's worth mentioning, maybe she didn't kill herself, and so it's fine. And in this world, she was all right. Uh, that's optimistic, but if that's disrespectful and it doesn't work, she is dead. And there's a, there's a girl from a think tank episode where this genius, stupid genius, Wesley Crusher, Adric type chick escapes from this like scientific place and goes out and meets Banner she's like super intelligent but the people from this institute she's like daryl they're like chasing after her and she's like so super bright and she's this episode of banner so i thought if this woman's killed herself and she can't be in the finale i'll substitute the psychic for this super intelligent person who comes back so there you are so i'm saying that really up front that it, that it does play in but yes you were saying banner tragic life and then he died of cancer so yes yeah. Said. but he did direct a lot of episodes of Blossom so good for yeah him. I saw that too yeah and I was trying to remember Blossom is it the one with the little I kid no I didn't either. No, well that doesn't narrow it down but no, it was it, Blossom's like a teenage lady girl it, yeah. and she's the actress is now in or she was in the Big Bang Theory um, oh wow and yeah. Joey Joey woo um, you know Joey Lawrence I believe um, Thingy Lawrence, what's his face? He was in it. Other people yeah. were in it. Yes. It was okay. big in the early 90s. I never really watched it. I was definitely more of a Wonder Years, more studious child, <laughs> an academic sort, if you will. Oh, well, no, what am I saying? I watched My Two Dads and we all know it. Fucking love My Two Dads, man. But that's the early 90s source for me. Mainstream, anyway. But step-by-step step is, like, my... my okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so the Incredible Hulk, Jimbo. <laughs> um, 
So, uh, should we do the Epsteps? What do you think? Yes. Um, so I gave you a little selection, a wish list, and then a longer list as well. Um, and you know, little, yeah. And I'm very, very grateful that you took the time and energy because, again, you originally said you were going to do all of them on the flight from Australia to England. I was like, yeah. if you do that, your head will eat itself. You can't. <laughs> it's like seventies Doctor Who. You can't do too many nineteen seventies Incredible Hulk shows in a row. Because, yeah, your, your eyeballs will sort of do weird sort of twisty things, you know, that sort of ring themselves up, turn into like a twister ice log. So, none that, so you didn't do it like that, which is for the best. And you did take the time. So, I just want to say is that generally the reasons that, of the episodes that I suggested that you watched, just, you know, in terms, because like I was saying, the connective tissue towards everything, the only real arc is McGee's relationship to Banner. And it, Usually McGee turns up, Banner just about misses him, sometimes by coincidence, sometimes by like sheer luck, and they really like playing with that. Or sometimes he spots McGee and he's like, fuck, go down, pops out a window or something. So, but nonetheless, McGee's always there, but at the end, he always sees the Hulk. He's like, what can you do? It's the fucking Hulk. And the Hulk's like, oh, and he runs off. McGee's like, well, there we go again. Um, but he is the connection. So the ones, the episodes that I recommended to you feature McGee in a strong way. So the Equinox episode, was lovely, but it's also a good episode, and it's a strong Mickey Banner episode. So that's you know, so the push up, bonk, which we'll get to, I'm sure. Um, that's just a happy cherry on the top, which is nice. Uh, so walk us through the episodes that you watched, Jimbo, if you could, because this is very fascinating. Well, we started with a misunderstanding, Sheppy, didn't we? Where where I thought I was, uh, I I didn't go down with the pilot, and that was that was Jimmy arrogance as well. Unfortunately, I felt I'd seen the pilot <laughs> a bazillion times, and I probably did need to revisit when I came to to look at it again. Um, and I've taken a liberty with that pilot, which will come to on my pitch as well. But uh, so I started with Death in the Family, Sheppy, which is I think the one straight after the pilot. And... Yeah, it was basically the second pilot. It's like the Star Trek where no man has gone before was essentially a second pilot after the cage was too cerebral. So, yeah, this was like, we've done the setup. Now let's do a two-parter to give you a more of a, what, you know, an idea of what the show would actually look like. And so it's a two-parter, I believe. And it's more kind of like, dare I say, epic. Like he yeah. does fight a bear at one he point. He does fight a bear. He does fight a bear. I was surprised at how dark that plot was <laughs> for Death and the Family. You basically have a doctor and the uh, remaining family of a little girl who's been uh, essentially crippled. Um, and they're plotting a killer. <laughs> <laughs> it's really, really dark. One of the observations was I wasn't 100% sure that Bill Bixby's uh, stubble was always stubble. Right. <laughs> There's a little bit of makeup shading in a couple right. of earlier scenes. Which is well, he was area. born smooth, man. What can you do? <laughs> um, I was surprised to see Kit, our, our man. Um, oh, God, I didn't remember. Anthony. Ah, I've forgotten the bloody voice of Kit. Yeah, I'm not going to. Um, yes, but yeah, oh, he's, he's a so, very yeah. well a highly esteemed uh, actor. Then the graduate. Yes, well. of course he is. Jesus. Um, but of course, the voice of Kit. Um, yes, he's good. a nasty man trying to poison a child, so, so it's good stuff. I love the way that, and just to jump to the end, I mean, he doesn't get his, his denouement, or at least we don't see it, which is quite extraordinary, I thought, wonderful. Like, 
you just get you know i guess we just have to assume he's been arrested by the cops so i thought that was quite cool um don't normally see that in tv shows now you know you really need to very obviously tie up the loose ends you know leave nothing to the imagination i thought it was really cool um yes I thought this happens a lot where, and maybe it's time or not, but certainly in this one and in the um, dark side one, I'm bloody team person we're not meant to be on the team of. So we have a manager of the estate here that David comes to stay in and he's a bit gruff. I think he's kind of justifiably gruff. He's trying to protect the kid, protect the estate, all this stuff. Unfortunately, he doesn't turn up in part two, but that's notwithstanding the fact he gets the chance to basically, I mean, Banner has come onto the estate. He's there ostensibly to be a fruit picker, we learn when he gets there. He immediately sits down on the job and starts holding this little girl's hand, which is just so touching. <laughs> it's cool doing that. Um, and then, like, he then goes back into his barracks and is caught by the gruff guy. He's not been on there for about, you know, maybe 70 minutes, maybe in real time. And he's just lying on his bed reading a book when he's meant to be. He hasn't even picked a single grape yet about his lying down on the job. Anyway. <laughs> Um, so I totally team manager of the estate. It's very ridiculous. Um, but I, I love um, the moment where, you know, further down the track, Hulk finds the old boy by the caravan, by the campfire, and eats a whole chicken drumstick in one take. It's absolutely <laughs> extraordinary. Um, there's some amazing real effects here. And also, of course, our grizzly bear in the swamp, which... Literally, I mean, Ferrigno is wrestling it in a couple of scenes, which is amazing. And then <laughs> throws the bear, Hulk style, and <laughs> it turns inexplicably through the air into a teddy bear. <laughs> yes, almost exactly like someone got a teddy bear and just threw it past the camera. Almost exactly like that. Weird. Second yeah. unit in a different forest. Oh, you know, we forgot to get the teddy bear flying through the air. Could you just you find know, a little I, girl's I, teddy bear? I think what, what it actually was, was it was like they basically got Bungle and they put him in a catapult and they shot him. I do think even to say that it was a teddy bear is even unfair. I think it's just, it was, it's a bad looking shot. It's one of those really <laughs> embarrassing shots, but I think they tried at least, it wasn't just throwing a teddy bear. It, they got Bungle and he said, what's going on? And they put him in a catapult and flung him across. He's like, hey, but he's still Bungle. It's not a real bear. So it still looked fake. It was um, but when Hulk is wrestling the bear, you're right, it is Ferrigno and an actual bear, um, which is nice. Insane. It's insane. And it's what you have now. to mention, because everyone's going to be like, no, you better mention it so well. Uh, there's green paint, which gets comes off Ferrigno and is on the bear, so the bear. You could say he's fighting with a gamma-charged super being, so the bear absorbs the excess gamma radiation, and that's why he's got, like, green painty fur for a minute and then fight. So there you go. You have there, I, now I wish I'd had this conversation before I wrote my finale, Sheppy, because bloody hell, I want Hulk to face the Gamma Bear in the fucking finale. That's amazing. Um, Hulk but... versus the Gamma Bear is the forgotten episode, and that's pretty hard. <laughs> um, two positive things to end on from me for this is just the snake bite when it happens to the old man feels very real. And it's a really cool little bit of 
snake acting and the whole swamp bit was very exciting and the, they have a very tricky thing to get around here which is this this girl actually it's all psychological the fact that she can't walk and she needs to walk again and I I just found that very moving and you know and and believable the way they pulled it out and of course I guess 70s pacing even though I do think the show is genuinely perfectly paced, but I, I on this on this ep anyway, and um, you know they get it right, ships. Like I kind of believed, I was totally on board with it. The way that he coaches her through it and all that, and the moment that she starts walking again, I just it's really nice. You know, I thought, nice. it was, yeah, yeah, it's really good. Happy. They pulled the old heartstring, much like oh, yeah. at the end of Raw Deal when Arnie talks to his crippled friend and walking once more. I can't do it, John. Come on, think of your son. <laughs> this stuff. Uh, mystery man, Jimmy. What's the basic plot? Oh, blimey. Well, it's it's just as simple as he is in the... Oh, it's a pretty heavy forest area, isn't it, because of the forest fire? But he um, he's hitchhiking through that area, Um ends up being picked up by an absolutely crazy woman who, I mean, as soon as he gets in the car, she says, men are all born snakes. I think I'd be straight out of the car at that point. But she then proceeds to tell him all about her ex and this taking the corners very fast. And I love Bixby's acting of panic during that scene. Um, They have a, a pretty horrendous car accident rendering that god we don't even know what happens to her she's never seen again so maybe she's bloody just carked it but um, but yeah uh then we have you know banner in hospital um with with covered his face covered in bandages he's in a hospital bed and it's his point of view he's talking to his doctor then mcgee walks in looks right down the lens into banner's eyes he's like oh and then you're like what and then it cuts and he's all wrapped up in his bandaged and you can't see his face it's like the invisible man and um, and it's like a nice real i mean it's done in a way where in the 70s i'm sure audiences were like whoa fucking hell he I, goes still off did. Too I still did oh really oh yeah, that's I loved lovely it. i forgot i was talking to mr maverick but yeah no fair play that's <laughs> lovely so um he's bandaged he gets in a plane with McGee for some reason, and then that plane crashes, like at the beginning of The Edge, and they crash land in the wilderness, and McGee fucks up his leg. Is that correct? Yeah, that's exactly right. And there is a raging um, bushfire, forest fire out there coming for them. So um, that's our kind of, uh, our urgency. And so then, but then he, he and McGee have a kind of a, you know, the, McGee refers to him as John Doe. So it's kind of this sort of, uh, um, you know, they, they end up having a lot of heart-to-hearts and kind of bonding over the experience. And of course, you know, and... McGee doesn't know it's Banner. And yeah. it, just in case we didn't really say it before, McGee thinks Banner's dead from the pilot, so he can't ever find out. that He can't ever see Banner's face. He can't ever find out that Banner's alive and that Banner's the Hulk. He doesn't know who the Hulk is. And at this point, correct me if I'm wrong, Jimbo, he doesn't even know that the Hulk can change the human exactly yeah and and also like banner doesn't know who the whole banner doesn't know himself obviously too he's lost his memory in the accident so 
he is he, he's actually able to play along for at least the first half of Mystery Man. And uh, and and so what we get over the course of that first episode is some extraordinary, awesome flashbacks, Sheps, to Epps I want to see. <laughs> I, I've, I've put here Hulk hanging onto a plane, bloody amazing. <laughs> Hulk in the desert in a cage with Bixby looking at him. I don't even know how that's possible. Um, Hulk boxing, but that might be the wrestling one that you saw. Um, right, Hulk boxing sounds amazing. And then he's, <laughs> with the class. Class. <laughs> he's doing it Queensbury rules. Yeah, I mean, that'd be amazing. Um, uh, yeah, I've... I reckon that's probably the wrestling one. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then we have like, I mean, a couple of extra observations here. McGee has a hit flask in this episode that he brings out kind of about maybe two thirds into episode one. Um, where it's like for medicinal purposes, which is a lovely daddy joke. And we don't say enough daddy jokes. We always talk about mummy jokes, but it's a really yes. good daddy joke. But the hip flask itself is huge. It's what he's like. <laughs> like, there's no way it actually fits in that suit pocket. It's like a prop they've just handed him before the scene. So how he carried it around before then, we'll never know. Um, nice. Uh, then I've just got, um, well, just. I mean, I've made the observation here. It doesn't really matter when I make it. Like in in Banner's flashbacks, we see a lot of the Incredible Hulk running away from something in slow motion. And Lou Ferrigno has a lovely slow motion run, doesn't he? Like it's really, there's something about the way his feet pad as he runs. Yes, it's very satisfying. Um, Yeah, he's uh, he's out hoffing the hoff pre-hoff. Yeah. Hoff yeah. isn't even a seven out of Ferrigno for me now, to be honest, Shepard. Yeah, uh, it's an unfair comparison. Ferrigno, in his 70s pomp, he's he's bloody huge, bloody massive, is Ferrigno. Yeah. Little factoid about the Hulk, and um, this isn't like a huge secret, but I, I have to mention it. Um, Lou Ferrigno wasn't the first actor to be cast as the Hulk. Now, urban legend is that they offered it to Arnie, and he said the famous quote, I'm too pretty to play the Hulk. I don't know if that's true. I'm sure he was in contention, but he was like, no, I'm not doing a TV show. I'm on the up and up. But I'm too pretty to play the Hulk. That's pretty special. You can imagine Arnie saying that. Uh, He's not. He's very ugly, but especially 70s Arnie. My God. That's so, but who they actually hired before Ferrigno was Richard Keel, Jorts. Um, and he oh. they they shot scenes for the pilot. And there's one shot in the pilot where it's still Keel. And you can't tell, but it's when he the little girl's in the river and or the lake, and the hawk pushes this tree over to like go into the lake so she won't drown. And there's like an overhead shot that zooms out and up, and the hawk looking up, and that's that's Richard Keel for like two seconds, one and a half seconds. And the reason they let him go was because he's massive, but he's not built. You know, he's a big dude, but he's not like muscly, as it were. And so they were like, oh, you've got the size, but you don't have the stamina, champ. But so there you are. So that's just my little other factoid that I thought was worth mentioning. Nice, chef. Love it. And it looks in this one like they really do their own stunts. I, I know they probably don't, but we're talking about them falling down the hill, um, lots of like, you know, near near death moments with fire and that sort of stuff. It's pretty impressive stuff. And then the, um, <laughs> I mean, I played you the clip. I may, even if I'm feeling clever, try and insert it here, Sheppy, if I can. But there nice. is an extraordinary moment where the head of the fire crew 
is informed that the fire is getting close to the cabin he owns with his wife. And he says to his friend, no, no, don't worry. Helen's all right. She'll know when to get out. <laughs> asks one of the crew to just radio his wife. I mean, there's a roaring fire heading for his family. He's very stoic <laughs> about it. It's shifting again, Bob. Just getting off close to that cabin of yours. No, Helen's all right. She has a radio. She'll know when to get out. Betty, radio my wife. Call letters India Bravo Echo 6. India Bravo Echo 6. What about our friends out there? About the only thing that can save them now is our reluctant blizzard. Save them or kill them. They're not dead already. I've just put as well, realization moment that he's Hulk all over again is great. I've got a good shiver there, good old Bixby. Um, and I just, I think the writing on that one is it's always strong, Sheppy, but particularly good. Even just uh, when, when he's moving Jack around and Jack's uh, um, saying, don't move me, don't move me, you know. Um, and I should say it's Jack McGee, you know, but, um, but as he's moving McGee around on, on their sort of plinth or whatever it is they pull together. Um, and Jack's saying, don't do it, don't do it. And then he just says to him, it's reopen the wound, you know. And of course, like in that moment, you just, Ban is just finding, refinding re out that he is the Hulk. And it's just clever writing, Sheppy, isn't it? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it, it just kind of re they bonded as friends before that moment. And now he's reopened the wound. And like, you know, it's just, it's a nice, it's a gentle down for the count, you know, lots of meanings yeah. to that. I like it. Oh, gentle down for the count. What a nice way of putting it. Yes. Um, but anyway, so that's that's what I had on Mystery Man, Sheppy. We, we should mention, so Mr. McKee is a very important character in this whole show, and he's played by an actor called Jack Colvin, who I haven't seen in much else. He was in an episode of MacGyver, actually, but he's great as well. He's a very good actor. Yeah. I don't know, like I said, I haven't seen him in anything else, but within this, yeah, he, he's a really good character. Heavily based on, you know, Gerard, is it, from um, Les Miserables, the policeman who's just, like, mm. obsessed with catching thingy. Um, and also the detective from The Fugitive, who um, is obsessed with catching Richard Kimball. And yeah, I think that Gerard. Kimball, I didn't even yes. think about right. Sheppy. But he's been called yes. Gerard, Tommy Lee Jones, the whole time. is amazing. Yeah, right, right. I mean, it's not that subtle. It's good stuff. You want an Oscar for it? Yeah, Tommy Lee Jones and the original TV show, which of course of The Fugitive was not that dissimilar to the template of The Hulk on the run, different location each week, standalone episodes, but with a guy on your tail who's obsessed with catching you. So The Incredible Hulk show and The Fugitive show, very similar um, and definitely an influence. And, you know, Kenneth Johnson will say, oh, it's late, miserable. It's like, yeah, but only because the fugitive was influenced by But never mind. Good stuff. Um, so Jack Colvin as Jack McGee is a great character, very good conceit, done very well. And like I said, in a lot of episodes, he's almost seeing that up as a rodeo episode. And it's got my favorite one of those. It's one long shot, and he's in the deep background as McGee, and he's walking towards where Banner's talking, he's holding a horse. So the horse's head between him and McGee, but we, the audience, are getting closer and closer and closer and closer and closer, and Banner's talking in the forefront. And what they're talking about is important to the plot. So you're listening to this, and, it, and McGee's just getting closer, and you see him stop, and he's like midway, and he asks directions, and someone points towards them. The ride is walking right back towards. 
getting closer and closer, we're saying the, the mid shot and that between them. And then right at the last second, the horse moves and Banner goes to move with it. And just as they are, it's so well timed and it's this, like maybe 50 second, maybe one minute shot. But again, you don't want to fuck it up. It's so well timed. The horse just comes and he's a good and turns his head the other way. So McGee just sees the back of his ear just by total. It's really well done. So anyway, stuff like that shit always appeals to me. And I like the mystery man idea of it's a very good way of having them communicate and get to know each other and then realise that shit more than them thing that I need to run away from running to. And it's good stuff. Nice, Sheppy. Well, I've got like just about maybe six or seven observations for the remaining ones here. So Equinox was the next one, I think, in order. And what a brilliant opening this has. But the, the basic plot here is that, and, and we're really in media res on two fronts here. You know, there's no, um, that we start with the Hulk as the first shot is the one way. But right. the other thing and is. Can that, I just say that that's exactly right? Because, like I said, the template is usually he hulks out at around the 20 minute mark. But this is one of the rare exceptions where the first time, the very first scene, he's already Hulk don't really know you to know what happened. He got beaten up or something. And now he's running and he's holding being chased by McGee down the docks. And you're like, wow, straight in. Love it. And there's no exposition on finding the place, even though the fact it's the least, you know, practical place he stays in some ways. I mean, he is off the mainland in some rich lady's island. And we never really know how it gets there, you know, unless that was teed up in the last episode. But, uh, but yes, yeah, no, so not at all. It's yeah, never amazing. teed up in the last episode. And uh, and so yeah, and she's sort of throwing some big bash, and she's kind of, we think what well, it's a lovely twist, really. We think she's a bit of a bitch, but she turns out to be lovely. And um, mm. but yeah, and she's hired him as a librarian or something. And she fancies him. Yeah, but, fancies him, but um, he's like, I don't like you, you're vacuous, but then he gets to know her. But I don't think anything happens, right? He just, like, it doesn't, no, I wondered. And then uh, I think it's really only minutes after the saving that he gets on his boat at the end, I think, to be honest. But they're friends at the end. They're definitely postcard buddies. <laughs> um, Jesus. Yeah. It must be very expensive for Banner sending his postcards back to different people. And um, <laughs> so I... Uh, that that rich lady I wanted to share with you, Sheppy. Um, <laughs> again, I don't think I will bother with the audio, but just in case I do, um, the, she has a guy who she is seeing at the well, not really seeing, but it's interesting. And they're called Alan, who's a bit boring and a bit of a wet blanket, um, who's nowhere near as interesting as David Banner to her. But in the very first time we meet her, she says the immortal line, "Oh, Alan, we had a great time, and you look great in a swimsuit, but." <laughs> <laughs> to tell the fellow you look great in a swimsuit but is very happy for me um, <laughs> Diane I, I don't understand your, your attitude at all I thought we had something we did we had a fabulous time in St. Thomas Diane. Alan you look great in a swimsuit Diane when she invites Banner to dinner as well, I don't know if you remember this, but it's like they decided to change a lot of the dialogue in the scene. And so they go long shot and then they just dub dialogue over the top right, of them, not really right. moving their lips, which is a bit orcs. Um, <laughs> yeah. I love the interrogation scene. Or not to, kind of interrogation slash bargaining well, scene. Mickey has him in the yeah. cupboard. 
Oh, oh, I was thinking in the boat taxi, like when he's trying to get to the mainland, it's very real right. how he turns the boat guy around and all of the gates McGee has to get through in a situation where certainly I hadn't seen McGee have to get through before, you know, in yes. terms of getting it across to another island that will be very much a closed um, shop, you know, it's cool. Yeah, McGee um, really goes for it and he drives the dude, he gets across, yeah. he makes it across, he goes through, he's waiting, he goes in his little dinghy, goes in like James Bond, He's in, and then after all of that, it's almost like, well, he, then he just says, like, what? No, 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 I'm, I'm pressed. And it's like, what, what? And the guy's like, this guy doesn't have an invitation. He's like, ah, oh, and he tries to get it back. Like, you know me. And he says to the butler, I'm a friend of Diane. And the butler's like, let's see your invitation, pal. And he's like, oh. He's like, oh, Mickey, you idiot. You did all of that. You did it perfectly. It's as if you had like a James Bond intro. And then right after all of that, and then you totally like really throw it away. And just piss all over it. Say, no, 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 what are you talking about? It's a press. What? Hmm? <laughs> Rubbish. Um, so poor McGee. But no, that is good. And then he does get Banner cornered in a cupboard, who are, and Banner's got like a party mask on, and McGee's got a tranquilizer gun. And it's a really small room, but they're separated by lots of coat racks. And McGee's yeah. and reading between the coats, and they're talking. That's nice. It's wonderful. And to be fair, Sheppy, the mo of all of the McGee banner moments, the opportunity for that to become ridiculous, where they're just pushing and shoving a coat rack between them was huge. Yeah. And they managed to make it have the, the gravitas it needs, which is nice. And then, I, I mean, it's nice part... for them to have a conversation as well, because it doesn't, because he's always running away from them. It's nice yeah, that's so they true. don't get any conversation. And there's a, there's, we should mention an extra character, which is a butler who doesn't like the hostess at all. In fact, I think he offers David Banner some, a, a, um, a piece of fruit at one point, or Banner offers him a piece of fruit, and he says, it's a bit on the tart side, Mr. Banner, Ooh, <laughs> yes. which is meant as a bit of a barb against the hostess. Which Very is, much uh, so. Um, yeah, right. Don't try the pear, it's total slag. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Unnecessary. Uh, so, yeah, but, and he's the guy who kicks out McGee, or at least locks him in a cupboard or does something to him. Yeah. Um, but then at the end came, I mean, other than the spinny chairman from Return of Hulk, this one was up there because it is quite sensational. What happens, Jimmy? There is an amazing moment with Hulk, well, Banner hulked out. Um, and and the butler coming towards the Hulk with some sort of malicious intent. <laughs> the uh, the Hulk pushes the butler. Bearing in mind that in the confines of a bedroom as well, it's a really important distinction here. Pushes the butler just one shot off screen. I want to say about forty five seconds later, we hear a douche of the butler landing. <laughs> the gold of our children I mean, <laughs> I, I, there, there would be i mean sometimes we would do it like you know we'd always leave a gap we'd get on with things we'd have a conversation and then somewhere down the line one of us would just go douche the butler just <laughs> <laughs> so it's it like a game days. of chicken how long did you days. go <laughs> so you phone, phone up you know, go speak to your mum like hi it's james there hi you wait and then it's like Hello, like, douche, we'll hang up. 
yeah, it was great. Yes. Um, now it's or not better than that, Sheppy. Call each other. But... <laughs> Conversation. <laughs> Start the butler off. Conversation. Yeah. Hang up. Call back. <laughs> yeah, that is huge. That is yeah. huge. Um, so no, you know, it's not forty-five seconds. Realistically, but it is a ridiculously long amount of time. And Hulk, when you say pushes him, you imagine Hulk going, ah! It's literally, I mean, this is a podcast. You can see doing it, Jim, but that doesn't help anyone. It's like you would wave away a tiny bit of cigarette smoke in a park where it's just a little strand of cigarette smoke from someone sitting on the next bench, just wafting in front of you. And you just do that. It's that. It's just like, okay, just, you know, just disperse. Um, that's what Hulk does to this butler. Now it's a tight frame and they're by the bed and you see the butler go back and he's almost immediately out of frame, but you still see his legs and they just go, whoop, like get pulled. You know, it's like he must have been pulled. There must have been someone out of frame because his legs without any movement or friction or even real momentum just go whoop, out of frame. And then, yeah, it's probably a proper one, two, like to ten. It's a, it's a chunk. And then it's, and he's like, well, he's fucking dead. So, yeah, it's amazing. And it's the best part of a very good episode. Okay. So let's do Prometheus and a bit of Dark Side, Sheppy. Then I just, I cannot wait for your, your pitch. So, yeah, no, everyone, well, no one, no one's made of this part. But yes, <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Prometheus is another nice two parter, and it's written and directed again by Kenneth Johnson. It's wonderful, Sheppy, for so many reasons. I mean, that the beginning is wonderful. I love all the stunts. Talk, I mean, almost fugitive esque, really, with people bobbing in like wild water and stuff. You know, um, there's some great stuff on the stunts there. So, I mean, the basic plot here being that, um, well, you know, Mr. Banner is innocently fishing on the rocks by a dam, and um, and and spots a, a well, what turns out to be a blind woman nearly drowning that he saves. And uh, all the while, a meteorite is heading for Earth. And um, but it's sci-fi. But it this, is a bit sci-fi. There's quite a lot going on in this one, to be fair, because you, you wonder what the Prometheus is going to be referencing. And, and, and it's heavily referenced, the Prometheus here, are they coming, all this sort of thing. And, um, and essentially, the, the meteorite landing and the Hulk being in the vicinity, having hulked out a bit, um, is presumed to be a part of, I guess, some kind of space landing uh, of, of an alien or what have you. And Prometheus, which is a team of scientists, is essentially invoked and they come to investigate him. That's, that's it's the Torchwood, basically, but they're yeah. all old men, I, I think. But I mean, my, my observations of this, Sheppy, I mean, and it has a, the best cliffhanger. It's got a fantastic cliffhanger that they really milk for all it's worth, which was happy, but um, of the part one, part two of Prometheus. So great stunts. May I say the, oh, uh, yeah. that cliffhanger, because I have an older brother and older sister, they of course remember the early TV show when I was scared of Hulk much better than I do. And that cliffhanger, it was something to do with us going with our grandparents and we couldn't watch part two or something, or we had to tape it. But that that was a big deal. That cliffhanger has resonance within the family. So there oh, you go. Nice. That's really nice. And bloody hell, if it if it had anything more than the week, you'd be bloody eating your hand with anticipation. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> well, great stunts. I think there's actually <laughs> there's some hilarity. Again, maybe 
if I really have it, Sheppy, I'll insert here, but the, the, the Nassery agents who are monitoring it are, are kind of having a little uh, covert relationship. And, uh, and, and, and one of them's got an incredible moustache, which of course won't come out on any audio if I insert it, but um, they have really amazing chemistry between them, which is very hilarious. Colonel Appling to the Deep Space Net, please. Colonel Appling to the Deep Space Net, please. This is for another dinner invitation, then you're on. Your cannelloni was superb last night. I hope you like dessert as well. But this is business. Goldstone's tracking something. What? We don't know, something weird. Where's it coming from? Deep Space. <laughs> I, uh, I think the Bixby charisma is never better on show than here, where... He is somehow not super creepy, despite the fact he's alone in a cabin with a blind woman and being very taciturn with her as well. And it's all kind of, yeah, it's interesting that, but he's doing well there not to be creepy. But he, spoiler alert, at the end of part two, he definitely gets on with a blind woman, like definitely <laughs> Sheppy. They've spent days together and there's there's a special chemistry when she drops him off at the coach. Um, uh-huh. When Banner first goes to examine a meteorite, there is a ridiculously complex stunt where a tree falls down next to him as he's examining it. Like, <laughs> there's no need to even do that. Like, and it does. And it freaking, it's like the jewel of the Null typewriter going through the water near the scuba diver. Why bother with that anyway? But, um, <laughs> it's a hell of a shot. But uh, I love, I mean, some of the best Bixby of the whole lot is him being stuck in Hulk transition mode. Yeah. And I like that in this. It was really good acting from Bixby in there. When, so when yeah. we, we should say, so that's after he's been exposed to this meteor and he hulks out and goes nuts and punches through the floor and then, and then yeah. he can't be hulked and he's stuck as like halfway between. He's really muscly and he's still big. He's not as big and he's not green. And there's a close-up, it's Bixby with like half Hulk transformation makeup on. And when it's a long shot, I, I used to assume it was Frigno, rightfully so, without makeup but apparently it's not some other dude who's in other stuff as the in-between he's not quite as big as Brigham he's still fucking massive that's so nice. it's just, and that's why we watched that episode after we had seen Endgame the second time I was like you know you're in between Hulk let's watch this so there you go that's really cool and I and in terms of the cliffhanger Shippy now this is me being a bit naughty but I'm going to bloody tell you that this happened and i'm 83.2 percent sure at the end of the episode i was as the everyone's descending on the hulk and he's about to be captured which is the cliffhanger you know he gets put into a steel crate you know unescapably and um the um i think he kills the people in the helicopter <laughs> at the end Jesus. of episode one i think that helicopter goes down and then at the start <laughs> of episode two inexplicably in the flashback for episode two they just crowbar in the helicopter guys going let's get out of here or that same double guy <laughs> just puts it on there as the chopper guys are about to blow up and it's not like it says let's get out of here and they run out like yeah. it just like the helicopter does its thing and then blows up but just before it blows up this sort of freeze frame and it goes let's get out of here <laughs> Well, they realised that they had a really violent death that the Hulk had caused on their hands. So, fuck me. If Stan Lee finds out, he'll be furious. 
So yeah, they did a very, very clumsy bit of post-production dubbing, which, you know, yes, shows like that especially are filled with absolutely a bit embarrassing, but part of the charm, and it's about <laughs> shit. Shit, yes, of course. And then, like, in a really wonderful early kind of template for this stuff, we then don't get our kind of satisfying Hulk in the case. We then switch to Prometheus Assemble, you know, and we kind of get these scientists, you know, brought into the fold. And we have this three different recruitment scenes, which at first are amazing. Because this elderly scientist guy, he's having a birthday party for his grandson, we assume, in Chicago. He gets pulled out of the birthday party. And there's the code word. We have a visitor, which is basically used for all three, with, with some shady government agent coming to them and saying, <laughs> we have a visitor. But what kind of ruins it is, okay, it's one thing to tease us. We're not going to get Hulk in his cage. But we then get this ridiculous <laughs> five-minute scene where Venkman-esque, but not Venkman-esque, we've got a very creepy scientist who's doing some kind of experiment with a lady. And it's like a mechanical arm that's kind of stroking her face and stroking oh, her hair, no. which I guess is a thing. But the scene goes for five minutes. <laughs> I'm just sitting there going, oh, God, this is stressful. And then someone comes <laughs> and tells him, like, we have a visitor. And then we hold on the lady still playing with the mechanical arm for another 30 seconds. And that's the last we see of that, apart from to know that he's a bit of a fiend, you know, the second guy. Um, yeah. But anyway, I think all I've said apart from Prometheus there was it was I do love the three scientists. I love the way it kind of interplays. I like their whole um, the ethics around what they're doing with that, which I kind of pulled into my finale a little bit. Not the scientists themselves, but just, you know, the quandary of what they're dealing with. And and McGee's wits are great in it and how he's convincing them to basically, you know, I guess, consider the merits of what they're deciding to do with the Hulk or not do and the testing on him and all that stuff anyway but the, the end is exciting and I just put Kerry he definitely did which is not a very PC way to put it but I think they definitely <laughs> so yeah happy Sheppy Prometheus was good I liked it man I liked nice. it. I think part one was stronger than part two yeah. yeah I think that's often the way and you know often cliffhangers aren't solved in a way that live up to cliffhanger and yeah, fair play, but nice, a nice bit of Bixby crying acting, I seem to remember at the end, and he holds back properly. Yeah, that's, that's back. true, Sheppy. Nice. He's loving it. Um, so, okay, good stuff, Prometheus, nice. What was next? A quickie on the dark side then, Sheps, which is basically cool. just, um, my. I, these are a little bit more like bullet points for me, but I put, you know, it was interesting to me that Banner sees the Hulk out as seizures, and refers to them as that. I didn't remember that ever, actually, which is quite interesting as he's doing his research. This one is tonally all over the show, perhaps intentionally, well, obviously intentionally, but, like, it has a real Bob from Twin Peaks vibe as he's sort of... Yes. <laughs> well, let me say this. So Dark Side is about Bixby getting to play the evil version of Anna, basically. Dr. Jekyll's himself again. He injects himself in something that should cure him, hopefully, or chill him out that it makes him pure schizo and Bixby turns into Bob Twin Peaks. And I'll quickly say, I am disturbed by that performance because he's so nice and amiable and Bixby is such a good actor. His performance genuinely disturbs me um, in, that, in that episode. Yeah, it's good. You... Yeah, I agree. When I, because I, I texted you, didn't I say, I wish I hadn't seen it for the acting, but I think it's, it's more... <laughs> 
those around him than the the Bixby of it because he's very good in it. And it's extreme. I will say as well, and I'm glad that they delivered on this. I was team dad the whole way through. Right. I thought this poor guy who's being slammed. It's very kitchen sink, isn't it? It's really yes. interesting. It's like, what's the worst time to be tinkering with the stuff and it's happened? It's when, when you're deeply embedded in a family with a young daughter just coming of age. It's pretty like, it's really well yeah. considered that, you know, it's like, oh no, that's a shame. And the dad's just back from the Navy or yeah. working oil rig or some such. Yeah, and... and yeah, and they have a good arc for the dad as well. Like, you know, the family come back round to him, which is happy and nice. But um, but the, the daughter loving him, I mean, you know, Weird over stuff. her hunky boyfriend was interesting, you know. But anyway. Well, so about the daughter, she, we're told, I think, repeatedly that she's 18 or even older, right? But definitely 18, we're told, over and over and over again. And she's played by someone who's clearly in her mid-30s. So there's that. <laughs> But creepily, she plays it like maybe a 14-year-old, an immature 14 or 15-year-old, going for a Lolita. But obviously, it's TV, it's late 70s. It's like, obviously, we're not going to do that. So we're going to say 18, 18, 18, 18, cast a 57-year-old, but play her like a really immature 15-year-old who is not in control of her emotions. And then put that dark side, Bob Banner, and then you're, you're basically fucked. Yeah, it's weird stuff. It's it's very uncomfortable. And I think, I mean, he kisses her as well, Sheppy. I mean, they go there. It's, it's, yeah. It's, yeah. Um, but he's eating that massive turkey leg. <laughs> and I'll tell you this, when he gets beaten up at that club with that with his all zipped up and shit, when he's being carried out to be beat, being beaten up, he knows it's going to turn him into Hulk and he's laughing maniacally and he's saying, you know what I'm like, great, what I'm like, great. And it's, that's like, the best self-reference of a iconic line that we didn't talk about, of course, but yeah, don't make me angry, you would like me to angry. And he says that, and then he indeed gets beaten up and evil Hulk comes down and it's hardcore. Regan goes for it, starts eating a frozen deer or something. So yeah, that, that was great. I think you've helped me with something, Asha, because I was going to ask you about the frozen deer moment. Like, he goes for the butcher and keeps going yes. for the butcher and keeps going for the butcher as Hulk in a way that doesn't feel very Hulky, but I guess the Hulk is kind of... He was pure dark yeah. side. And he's yeah. going to stamp on his head if he doesn't roll yeah. out of the way. His head is just destroyed. Tough. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, um, yeah, no, he I mean, is. Yeah. He's going for murder. But I think Evil Banner was capable of murder. Um, so it makes sense. Wow. But yeah, it's fucked up. Yeah. And when the only goes, other like, thing to say is... Oh, sorry, Sheppy. No, just again, Bixby's performance is just so, it's almost too creepy for the confines of that show. It's really extreme. And the creepiest thing about it, Sheppy, is the denim jacket that is done up, like tight as, done up almost <laughs> to the top. And as he struts through a nightclub, I, I can think of only Michael Douglas in Basic Instinct or <laughs> Awkward in those types of situations. Um, so it's pretty denim. extraordinary. Um, yeah, well, it should be. That's 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 it. That's, that's the wonderful. That is the app. Well, you know, yeah. I really appreciate it because, like everything you said about that before, it's very difficult to to get through. And I just was hoping for a few of those. Just um, so the fact that I'm going to keep that, going. Like, Don't you worry. We could do those as bubble episodes in the future. <laughs> Amazing. What did Jimmy think next? Because we didn't even talk about. Because I didn't even give you the evil Hulk two-parter because it's not necessary for the 
these purposes. But Evil Hulk episode is definitely worth discussing as well. Um, yeah, well, that's wonderful, Jimmy. So thank you so much because, yeah, you, you really are. It was are a treat, that. Chips. It was a treat. You and I have talked in other episodes about Hulk blowing out a match, but it's worth mentioning in the Hulk episode, department store, it's diehard in a department store. It's Banner, old security guard, and Foxy Lady, who of course fancies Banner, and these two um, criminals break in and hold them hostage. And Banner gets put in a, in a lift shaft, and the lift comes down on him, and he turns into the Hulk, flashes out. So lots of little things, and then they're all locked in the, lit, in the uh, safe at the end, and they turn off the air, and then they turn off the lights, and then we hear that he's changing, and there's like, David, and it's totally dark, David, I think there's something in here with us, and the security guard goes, oh, light a match, and he lights it, and they hold it out, and the match just goes right in front of Hulk's face, and they're like, yeah, and Hulk's like, and blows the match, and that you and me was the spinning on the chair equivalent it was huge and the pushing the, the butler for 20 minutes uh, the, the, the blowing out the match is the third part of the trilogy of Hulk, Jimmy and Sheppy adventures <laughs> Sheppy I'm glad you remembered to bring that up it makes me very happy alright Sheppy I am all bloody ears this is a life's work basically everything you could argue Everything in your life has led to this point. Every experience has been infused into this. This is it. This is bloody it. And it just dog shit. <clears throat> like, just on a level where if you tried to write something bad, you couldn't do it. You, you could never be this genuinely awful. Like, just, just. And it's like half a page long. It's really embarrassing. And I keep, I, I don't, I don't, I keep forgetting he's called David Banner. I'm, I'm calling him like David Blaine. Which, by the way, I'm sure he calls himself in that episode. He also calls himself David Brent. Um, very exciting, Jimbo. Um, various little things I'm sure are going to pop to my mind, which I'll regret not having said just about the Incredible Hulk. Um, but it's great. I think it's very nice um, as a show. And so, yes, I'll just jump straight in. So this, now this is the Incredible Hulk, and I'm ending it in 1982. And it does directly tie in to three previous Hulk episodes. Uh, obviously the pilot, also Prometheus, and also the psychic. And it also, to a lesser extent, um, there's an episode called Long Run Home, where he becomes friends with an ex-Hell's Angel um, called Carl Rivers. And there's an episode called The Slam, which two characters kind of in some way make a callback, but you know, incidentally. Um, and I'll, and but by the way, the slam is an episode where he's on a chain gang. It's directed by Nicholas and written by Nicholas Greer, who's one of the best. And he's in a chain gang, and the it's kind of like The Hill, a Sean Connery film, and also a bit like Cool Hand Luke, of course. And Robert Davy is one of the corrupt prison guards. And the, and the, the, there's this guy called Doc and he's played by Teehee from Live and Let Die, and he's one of the inmates. And um, Charles Napier, who's the guy who is in the Blues Brothers, he's like, we won't have any fucking teeth. It's him from the good old boys in the Blues Brothers. And he's the guy who um, has his face worn by Hannibal Lecter in Silence of the Lambs. And he's in loads of stuff. Um, he's in a lot of stuff. He's in this as his inmate in, in the slam. Um, he incidentally also did the Hulk 
growling noises from season two onwards. Whenever you heard the whole go, it was this actor, Charles Napier, doing weird stuff. <laughs> uh, so, so he's in it, and also the, com the, the commandant, the nasty chief baddie corrupt prison person with a massive Napoleon complex, very similar to the baddie from The Hill. Um, it's played by Mark Alamo, who plays, he's in three different episodes of The Incredible Hulk as different people. Um, and each time he's brilliant. Uh, and he's also, he plays Golda Cut in Deep Space Nine, who's the, lot, who's the main villain of the whole show. And he's a massive fan of that as well. And he's in um, Total Recall for a second. I love Mark Alamo. And he's in this one as the big nasty chief baddie. Um, and he's so good in it. So shout out to that and that episode. And anyway, that has a, a little a little part in this. And I, I'm going to have to cheat also because this is a two-parter. The episodes were generally 45 minutes. These are a solid hour each. But I'm just like the studio. We're like, you know what, Kenneth Johnson? Have like half a season's budget just or just for the time just take an hour i haven't gone crazy obviously i've stayed within the confines of what would be possible in a show like this with budget limitations and effects limitations so i've stayed true to what could be you know conceivable and hopefully done in an okay manner you know if they can get the hulk to hang off out of a plane and not have it look like blue screen rubbish that's all you need just get you know, get him in a wind machine it doesn't have to be cruise hanging off the side of that thing. So, yeah, so I think everything I've written is perfectly possible with like, you know, a little bit of a, a help from the studio, but nothing unreasonable. Um, so anyway, so those, that's it. And in terms of the pilot, I also need to say, in terms of the Hulk in general, um, there were certain things in the TV show that make me sad, and they're meant to. I just took a sip of tea, which was far too hot. So now I've burnt my mouth. So, <laughs> see your um, eyes go green. <laughs> yeah, right. It is. That's that would settle banner, I reckon. So, in terms of the things, it's like the main element is that he banner never really knows how much good the Hulk does, and he spends the whole show absolutely terrified of turning into the Hulk. With his worst fear is the Hulk will end up hurting someone or killing someone. He sees it as this absolutely out of control maniac beast who will just plow through anything and anyone. And he maintains that pretty much throughout the whole five seasons. And he's just like, oh my God, you know, did, I, did I hurt anyone on this? Whereas the, the Hulk does so much good. And obviously he only throws bad people around and usually only up tree. And he flips over cars and he does something, he smashes through stuff. But he does so much good. It always made me sad that Banner never really, you know, people were always like, if it wasn't for that big green thing, we would have been done for. And Banner's like, never mind about that. He's like, oh, come on, Banner, give the Hulk a break. So that was one problem. You know, not a problem, but that was something that made me sad. I'm like, oh, Banner, I wish you knew that the Hulk is the best of you, but the worst of you, you know? So, so there's that. And also in the pilot episode, so Elena Marks, who loves David Banner, but she can, can't be with him because it's like Beverly Crusher, but in reverse, because it was his wife who died. And she dies in an explosion at the end of the pilot. Um, and it's caused because Jack McGee follows them there because he's after the Hulk. He doesn't know Banner's the Hulk. He just thinks these scientists are helping the Hulk. And he's not wrong. And he follows them there to, the, to this place in the Culver Institute, which is all in the California hills somewhere. And he breaks in and he sees the damage and he hears them come home. So he 
hides in a cupboard and they come down the stairs and he's listening to them like a dirty little bugger and then Banner opens up the cupboard to get something from, from inside and he catches McGee and McGee goes, McGee's like, yeah, and jumps back and bumps into the cupboard and then he comes out and he's all like, no, I guess I was looking for the Hulk. Ooh, where's the Hulk? I'm going to put in. Banner's like, I'm going to call the police. And he's like, yeah, sure, go ahead. Well, yeah, I love you. Know, where's the Hulk? And all this stuff. But he knocked over this thing in the cupboard, McGee did, which is then uh, acid. And at a certain point, it touches something that it shouldn't touch and it blows up. And by that point, McGee has been escorted outside the building by Banner. But Elena is still inside and she gets caught in the explosion. Hulk goes in there and gets her out, but it's too late and she dies. She tells him, David, I've always loved you. Uh, but she says it's the Hulk, and so the Banner never knows. And that's sad enough, but it's the fact that McGee blames the Hulk for the death of supposedly Banner and absolutely Elena. Uh, and when all the time it was McGee, it was his fault, um, and he's the one on a crusade now to get the Hulk, hiding behind the whole idea of like, oh, oh you see, that is a murderer, it's a murderer. And in his mind, that's absolutely true, but also he just wants it for the glory the story but the ultimate so annoying irony is that he's the one who did it so so those are two things that i wanted to mention before i get into my i'm so excited that you you're pulling those threads makes me happy it's good stuff so and like i say it also ties into the pilot uh and prometheus to an extent i will actually need to ask you something here jimbo because i said the word hypocrite before I didn't go back and rewatch Prometheus, so I'm not entirely sure who, if there was a main central villain. So I'll need you to tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, no, technically not really, Sheppy. It's the elements, right. isn't it? And then you've got three scientists. In terms of the army, um, is there, there like kind a of is actually, to be fair. Yeah, there's a guy who wants to use um, everything they're finding for nefarious purposes. You know, I think one of the scientists is actually more on board with all of their work being repurposed for the military and the others right. want it for research. The old boy's the good guy. I remember that much. But and let's there's... say there's a military kind of a Miguel Ferrer from Robocop type character. Exactly that. Exactly that. Yeah. That's and then you've perfect, got one of them is a bit of a wrong end because he invents robots that touch ladies up. Well, yeah, I know, but it's funny, right? It's it's like, ha ha, it's okay. She likes it. Gropey, gropey. It's like uh, if Roger Moore and Bill Murray can do it, and Bill Murray hasn't done it yet, predating Bill Murray's inappropriate. But at least he didn't grope her. He just groped her mind. Nonetheless, <laughs> this, <laughs> this guy, then, I'm just going to say right now, this, this nasty guy, he may or may not be called Captain Welsh. Um, there was someone called Captain Welsh. I checked on IMDb, but I don't know if it's that character. But... If it's not, then this guy could be called anything, Captain whatever. But I'm going to call him Welsh or, spoiler, he gets promoted, so I call him the Major quite a lot. So anyway, that's this guy who's from, from Prometheus, who's a nasty man. So this, Jimmy, The Incredible Hulk, finale, two-parter, 1982, starring Bill Bixby, Lou Ferrigno, Jack Colvin, with Roger Robinson, who's Captain Welsh, if that's the right person, uh, oh, Charles Seibert, um, maybe Seibert, who's, no, I don't suppose your, your quick rape of the pilot revealed Ben, the character Ben from the pilot, who works with Banner and Elena. 
It did well. That's interesting that he's in mind too, Sheppy. So that's uh... that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. He's a he's a relatively important character. In fact, he's the one who makes the gamma machine super powerful. And so it really, I mean, it's not his fault, but it wouldn't have happened if he hadn't have done that. And Banner wouldn't have zapped himself like ten million units of gamma shit. So Ben, right? Well, he's back, 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 and that makes sense that he's in was as well he's not in any of the other episodes but he is important and he works with them so yes charles seibert ben brenda bennett as annie Kaplan, who plays the psychic lady if she hasn't killed herself which in this world let's just say she has not killed herself she's fine he's happy to work with bixby and uh, it's like dexter and his sister slash wife in reality in the show uh, they can still make stuff together even after getting divorced Sure, these two can do it too. So there you go. Um, that's that's for setup. I might as well have it written and directed by uh, Kenneth Johnson, his baby, and so forth. This also, this episode also tangentially um, references events and characters from a myriad of other episodes, but they're not integral to the overall plots here. And these moments will be apparent when they pop up. So. I had a little thing which I'm just going to totally skip because we really, really need to get straight to it. So we have the titles, ba 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 ba, Incredible Hulk, David Banner is believed to be dead, all of that. And before anything, there's like often in the Hulk, there's like a pre title before the title comes up and then guest starring and the names come up over the images. There's often a, so this is that pre title sequence. We open. And I'm going to say Captain Welsh, so whoever, but this is the cunty guy from Prometheus who's in the army. Um, Captain Welsh is sitting in a nasty flat. Bearing in mind, this is like two years after the events of Prometheus. He's sitting in a nasty flat with the blinds closed, and drinking and feeling sorry for himself. Uh, he's staring at the wall, looking at lots and lots and lots of press clippings of the Hulk with the TV in the background detailing his own court-martial and disgrace. And there's like footage of him waving away newspaper stuff. Uh, we see again um, the newspaper clippings which are all up on the wall in front of him um, and we move in on them. So we see over and over again the name McGee, McGee, Jack McGee with his byline photo, which is always the same with him looking really smug. We see uh, a new resolve form in Walsh's, Welsh's eyes and he throws his glass at a wall, which of course shatters. We cut, it is some time later, Walsh is now all cleaned up and in uniform with his second in command, the young female up and comer, Commander Karen Shelby. He marches into the main army base, his head up, ignoring the stairs and whispered comments. That's him, what's he doing here? Etc. It's my little in-joke, Jimmy, to uh, over the top. And into the general's <laughs> office. Do you remember, who's he, what's he doing here? So that's that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I bet you fucking do. <laughs> I mean, can I just quickly say, in a podcast that's already over the top, <laughs> the crowbar is over the top reference. How can there's I not? no room. And I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Always room for an over the top reference. Well, room, yes. um, Captain Welsh knows, no, oh yeah, right, so he, he barges in, no, he doesn't barge in, he's got an appointment, but he strides purposefully into the general's office. So Captain Welsh tells, he says, this is about, yeah, Prometheus is dead, you ruined Prometheus, your career's over because of Prometheus and this weird green thing that is not an alien. 
They said, yeah, Captain Welsh has done a lot of research on the Hulk. He spent the last year going nuts about the Hulk. Uh, he knows that it's John Doe. He's um, followed all of like um, Jack McGee's shit. So he's done all this in his own research as well. He knows McGee has been chasing him unsuccessfully. And he knows the Hulk's first sighting was at the Colvert Institute in California, supposedly where he killed doctors, Marks and Banner. Elena Marks, David Banner. So he lays it all out to the general. The Hulk, his basic plan, we learn that Captain Welsh has spent the last year or so gathering intel, including first-hand eyewitness testimonies from many who have witnessed the Hulk. Uh, these are characters from previous episodes. So we see little talking heads from some guest episodes. A bit like the last episode of Seinfeld where people come back to testify against them. And it's also a nice callback to the pilot episode where they had talking head interviews, how I was lifting up the car and all of that. So that's nice. So the general is like, oh yes, the interviews, I imagine you brought some of them here today. But maybe we see a few now, but not really necessary right now. But the, uh, then after the last interview, we see, oh, it's the blind woman from Prometheus. And we just see her being interviewed you know, really close up angle and she's got a microphone in her face and she's just like if it wasn't what you call if it wasn't for what you call the hulk i'd be dead we all would be i owe him everything and then the, the picture goes blank and the lights come up and the general sits back in his chair and they're contemplative and captain welsh looks at him and says well sir and the general looks back and says all right major no 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 it's like, all right major meaning i've just promoted you to major what next and the newly promoted Major Welsh stands to attention with pure victory shining in his eyes. And then we cut to a cityscape and it, the title card comes up and this is how it usually goes down. And I didn't even do research to find out if this was an episode title because it sounds like it could be, but it's so perfect. I didn't check and I'm just gone with it. So the title comes up, End of the Road, Part One. Ooh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> so we, so, well, so we see that sip shipping, I want to say there's an opportunity for uh, when, when you film Prometheus Lady, like you know, it could just be for the, the fan, you know, some little twinkle in the eye, if you know, of, of the time that she spent with the Hulk, you know, just needs to right, be, yeah, I'll never forget that time spent together, <laughs> yeah, 1%. yeah, yeah, it's, it's like you're right, yes, 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 I've never, I've never been touched like that before. <laughs> yeah yeah full on uh hulk seed gave me my vision back um so that's that's good stuff i also thought for those talking heads you know, there are there are so many people you could bring back given the time you could you know and there were i would certainly bring back mark alemo's character from the slam and he's now in prison but it's him yeah all the actors come back and him doing like, you know, oh, it was terrible. This green beast came. And if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be in prison. He was terrible. And then someone else, you know, the blind chick or, you know, the super genius girl being like, you know, he showed me what life was and he showed me, you know, what life was worth living and all this. And, you know, so you could have little things like that, which would be really nice. So I'm just going to be very self-indulgent and say, there's time. It's an hour long. It's fine. So, yeah, nonetheless. So that's nice. So title card. End of the road, part one, cut to cityscape, the National Register. A group of soldiers march into the offices led by Major Welsh and his right-hand woman, newly promoted Captain Shelby. She is young, determined, career-minded, very sharp. Um, she was originally called something like Captain Dallas or something like that. 
but in my mind i just when i just kept seeing commander shelby from star trek the next generation who's in as you, i know you know jimbo the two-part borg episode best of both worlds uh commander shelby is moving in on Riker's position and kicking him out and this is just who i see i can't cast that actress because she's like too young at this point but that's who i see so i've called her captain shelby um good stuff uh they march straight through the bullpit through the national register past many surprised and staring journos this little six-man troop of army people right up to McGee's desk, where they find him typing and drinking coffee from a, a Palestine cup and talking with his editor, Mark, who's in some episodes. And then maybe they have a few seconds of banter where he's like, hurry up with that deadline, McGee. He's like, on a minute, Mark, they are all good things. Uh, then McGee looks up surprised as these you know, army people come to a halt and he sees them, uh, he sees the major and McGee's like, what is this? And Major Welsh says, justice. And then Captain Shelby steps forward and says, Jack McGee, you are under arrest for treason against these United States of America. And McGee's like, what? And he is cuffed right there at his desk. As his rights are read, we hold on his face. He can't believe what's happening. We cut and we find Banner. He's working in one of his menial jobs, maybe. I see him outside, so maybe he's washing cars or something like that. Sunny, somewhere. Um, now, in broad strokes, so that's basically, and I go off on one, as I'm sure is not su a surprise to you, but um, I don't do every, every single scene, you'll be pleased to know. So, broad strokes, Major Welsh uses uh, McGee to set a trap for Banner, Holt, John Doe. Uh, back where it all began at the Culver Institute in California. There is a quote-unquote mega reactor, which Ben, who you're never given his surname, so I've called him Dr. Ben Trainer. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why. I regret it. But nonetheless, it says here, Dr. Ben Trainer has been working uh, on work. You know, he's been work building this mega reactor, trying to continue the work of himself, Drs. Elena Marks and David Banner. Uh, Major Walsh has traced the Hulk's activities and sightings back to the first uh, in and around the Culver Institute. Um, so he moves his troops in to the Culver Institute, which again is the laboratories where Banner first became Hulk, and he fortifies uh, the place. He upgrades the security, he prepares countermeasures, he builds weird cells deep inside. Um, countermeasures also, we learn that this is a zapper a device, basically a massive ray gun that will send an electrical pulse of immense power and range into the Hulk, shutting off and disconnecting the brain's activities with its central nervous system. As the Major says, I don't care how strong he is or how mad he is, he simply will not be able to function after a dose of this red lightning. Every part of him will relax, shut down, switch off, like throwing a switch in his brain. And so um, the idea is, yeah, just it's when I say it's got range, I mean like on the basis of power wattage and all sorts. So it gets into your brain shit. And it's called Red Lightning, which is as sci fi as it gets. Uh, the major forces the register and Jack McGee to quote unquote leak this info that uh, Ben's mega reactor is about to go online and has the exact same properties as Ben's previous gamma machine upgrade but now with the capacity to be much more exact and is able to increase and crucially decrease gamma levels in DNA. 
this is the bait and it works. Banner, like a fool, he reads about this and he finds his next journey will be the journey home. I even put dot, dot, dot in my own description. Banner moves <laughs> to California and he gets back to Culver, back to his home turf. He lurks about and he sees the workings of the place. It seems normal outside. There isn't any dodgy military present really, but something seems a bit off. Um, so he, he sees he sees Captain Shelby, like who's she? And then he spots Ben and he goes, ah, oh, good, Ben. So Banner makes a plan. Uh, he lurks again and waits for Ben outside Ben's apartment building downtown. Banner takes his chance, stepping out of the shadows and he reveals himself and Ben is freaked and he's like, my God, Banner. Uh, Banner comes clean and Ben says he will do everything he can to help. Uh, Banner learns that Ben's machine isn't quite as ready or capable as the army's leak would have him believe, but it's close. And Banner is sure that with Ben's help, if they can get it to work on his cure. Ben says he'll sneak Banner inside the high security compound, but even he is saying there's something going on there in the deeper region that I'm not sure about, so we'll better be careful. They're on their way out of his apartment to Culver when bloody hell, McGee turns up and he's right at Ben's door right when they open it. And it's only by the luck of the Irish that Banner for some reason isn't spotted because McGee, I don't know, he's distracted by a fly. So Banner's like fucking hell, he's got to hide and he legs it out the window. Now <laughs> McGee is still under military duress and he's only allowed out and about while under close watch by the army peeps. So Banner, he's coming down the fire escape when a soldier lookout spots a man going down the fire escape. So meanwhile in the apartment, Ben is being grilled by McGee, having a slight rehash of their last exchange in the pilot. Ben, though, can tell McGee's on edge. Something's not right. Where's the slick journos he's grown to know and hate? Something wrong, McGee? You're not as carefree as I remember you. And McGee's like, no one is totally free, right, Doctor? Suddenly there's commotion. Someone's been spotted. Ben says to McGee, what have you done? Banner tries to climb back up the fire escape, but McGee sticks his head out of the window above. Banner ducks so McGee can only look down and see like the top of his head and shit. McGee's about to climb out that window to pursue, but he's tackled by Ben, and they go down in a heap on the floor. So Banner is now chased by the army troops. He can't go down, he can't go up, so he has to jump from one fire ladder to another, and he's like, you know, he's high up. So he does it, and it's exciting, and he climbs up onto the roof, and he's chased, and all these army people are coming out of the woodwork, and they're like, go, go, go. So he jumps from rooftop to rooftop. It's very exciting, and he, uh, troops burst into Ben's apartment and arrest Ben, taking him away. McGee goes down to the street, and he's looking up at the rooftop commotion, and he runs following the chase from below, and he's watching Banner, like, jump from building to building, and he's fucking out. And Banner makes it to another roof, and he thinks he's home free, he's running toward a rooftop door, when it bursts open and more troops spill out in front of him. Banner turns and he reaches the roof edge, it's further apart between rooftops, and he looks down at the long, long drop, and then he looks back across at the rooftop, and then he looks back at the fast approaching troops behind him. McGee's on the ground and he's looking up and he can't believe it. He's running, he's chasing, he's going there, but now he's just standing there looking up. And Banner has no choice and he goes for the jump. And McGee, who of course still can't see his face from all the way down there, but he sees the jump and he shouts, no! The Banner jumps and he manages just to grab the ledge opposite. 
but his grip is full failing and troops on the roof reach the edge and one soldier raises a gun. It's like a powerful tranquilizer rifle ship. And maybe it's even Commander Shel uh, Captain Shelby at this point, maybe, or maybe it's just like a troop. Uh, Banner is hanging on the other side. He sees this, that the guy's got a tranquilizer rifle. He sees the drop, sees the soldiers going to shoot, and he feels his fingers sliding They're right on the tip, right on the edge, they're about to go over the side. Then we see the soldier's finger tightening on the trigger, and then it's all stressful. Banner's eyes turn, we hear the noise, bing, and he lets go of the ledge. The soldier fires and the dart misses as Banner falls, and they all watch him fall. And it's a very impressive stunt, much better than that fake bear. Someone down into an airbag or something, but it's slow motion, it's very good. And we have the changing sound effects over the top. That, and then he crashes down into the alley, landing in bins and boxes with a great crash. The army on the ground are racing in, but McGee gets there first. But before he can get to the bins, he's caught by the army and he's pulled back with him struggling wildly. McGee shouting, you fools, what have you done? You've killed him. And a few soldiers advance on the impact site and the Incredible Hulk makes his first proper appearance, bursting out. He fucks up the army dudes. Maybe he like flips a jeep. Uh, people are definitely thrown about. Uh, Captain Shelby is watching this from the roof. She takes the rifle, she reloads it, she takes aim, she shoots, Hulk turns to run, and by sheer luck, the dart misses him and breaks on the hard ground. Hulk legs it, McGee takes a hanky and picks up the dart remains and pockets it. We later find out that he's run a test on the stuff inside the dart, and he knows actually it's highly toxic, very deadly, and he realizes what sort of a man the major actually is, and that he's ordering kill shots. Ben is uh, taken with McGee to the Culver Institute underground, meets Major Walsh, and makes his feelings very well known. Ben is very outspoken. Major says he must stay under house guard and continue to work on the machine, as John Doe may still turn up. Ben, of course, has told everyone that he has no idea who the man was who approached him. Uh, McGee says to the Major and to Shelby, you blew it, John Doe's nose is a trap now. He must know. So it's over, your trap has failed and he's in the wind. Right now, he's going to do exactly what he does best, disappear. And we cut to Banner and he's at the train station and he's got his ticket to somewhere far, far away in his hand and he's sitting on the bench with his little bag and he's waiting for the bus to be pulled. And he's looking around him, there's no dodgy signs of anyone following him. He's, yeah, he's on edge, but he's, he's ready for the bus. And he's looking at the people all around him. He sees families and he sees couples and he sees what he's been denied, what the sort of life that he can never have. And he's frowning, tortured, like De Niro in heat, utterly torn, you know, when he's in the car and he has to kill Wayne Grove. So he's, Banner's like, oh, fucking hell. I, I think he's ready for yeah. that, should be. Yeah. yeah, and, you know, we slowly move in on him so we really get some of that, yeah, Bixby magic. Uh, he sees a janitor sweeping up with a trolley Banner makes up his mind as the camera moves right in on him. So they call his bus, he stands leaving the ticket on the bench. He walks towards the janitor's trolley where we see a spare set of overalls. He snatches them as he passes and bundles them into his bag with the janitor seeing nothing. Banner disappears into the crowd, heading for the exit. McGee is still technically under military arrest. He is charged to go with Shelby 
to meet with and interview some other eyewitnesses who McKee knows about who were maybe missed the first time because the general, I mean, the major, he's staying at Colbert because he's banking on John Doe turning up, but he's like, we need to know as much as possible, maybe pick up a clue for McGee and Shelby, go meet these extra witnesses. Don't try anything, McGee, because otherwise this extra guard will shoot you in the back. Um, and Shelby's like saying to McGee, we actually were contacted by this one. She's on your list, but she somehow knew about the task force. So we'll pay her a visit first. So McGee's like, all right. So they get on a military jet and McGee and Shelby spend some time together. And they're, you know, they're, they're in the air for like, you know, a hot minute and they land in this other place, let's say Chicago. And we maybe have a quick scene with them on the plane together, this really horrible, uncomfortable, bumpy plane. And maybe they share like a nice moment together. I'm not saying there's anything romantic brewing, but I just want to give a bit more character and war, you know, potential warmth to Shelby, who's very stiff most of the time and very by the book. So McGee and the little military plane goes with Shelby uh, to see the witness. We learn that the interviews were conducted over the last two years, but this new one only came to light recently. Uh, so that's nice. They knock on the door to the apartment and it opens to reveal Annie Kaplan, the psychic lady who McGee had met before but Major Welsh missed in his initial interviews. Now I need to give a very, very brief, very brief, but in the episode of the psychic, it's absolutely brilliant and I could go off on that for ages, but I just have to say the plot of that is there's a lady and she touches you, she can see your past and your future, and she, knows, she touches Banner, she knows he's the Hulk, get involved, I don't think sexually, but whenever she touches anyone, she, she gets these flashes and, and, it's, and it's good stuff. And also in that episode, Hulk is found next to this bloody beaten up dead boy, like teenager, like street punk, and Bixby Banner is just distraught. He's like, I finally killed someone. But then with McGee's help, they find out that it wasn't Hulk that bashed this dude. It was like his mate, he thought he was a cop and smashed him with a bit of wood and killed him, and they saw the Hulk and thought it was him. And so Banner is like, thank fuck, I won't kill myself. And McGee has said, you know, has proved the Hulk innocent. So that's another just nice that's moment. Nice. That, I'm going to try and watch that one. That and the evil Hulk, Sheppy, I think are on the list yeah. after this, yeah. Yeah, nice. Um, so, so anyway, so there you are. So she opens the door, uh, and she knows McGee and everything, and she's like, hello. And they go into her apartment and it's Shelby and McGee and let's say one guard to talk with her. And she up front goes to shake hands with Shelby, who offers a stiff salute instead. But she then she shakes McGee's hand and she has a vision. And we may or may not see what she sees, but she, she looks at McGee and she reacts to something. She's like, right. Uh, and we join the scene at the end of the interview, really, where they're being filmed, this little thing. And Annie's like, so I say a little thing, like it's probably a huge thing, isn't it? It's like the early 80s. Nonetheless, Annie's like, so then he left, but it wasn't the Hulk who killed that man. I hope you know that, Captain Shelby, because Jack McGee does. Shelby thanks her for her time, gets on the radio to report back to HQ, check in with the major. Uh, Annie corners McGee in the city. She touches on her ability to which he acts with slight condensation. McGee is like, you really believe you have what some call the touch? Annie, I stopped trying to convince people of my gift a long time ago, Mr. McGee. 
but it is real. And not only that, but since my encounter with the man you're so adamantly chasing, I've stopped denying its existence or hidden from its potential. He's like, good for you. And I trained it, refined it, strengthened it. I can do new things with it. And McGee's like, careful, you're starting to sound like you enjoy your perceived power a little too much. And he's like, but we all can get a taste for power, can't we? Even you, the power of the press. How often have you used that power as a weapon, Mr. McGee? And McGee's like, I have just cause. And Annie, the Hulk. And she asks him why he's so keen to catch the Hulk, why he's given up so much of his own life already. And McGee is a bit snarky and he's like, who says I've given up anything? Your ability? And Annie's, call it intuition. McGee, the Hulk is a force of destruction that must be contained. It's dangerous. I'm just doing my duty. And Annie's, I don't need to be psychic to know this is far more than duty for you. All right, my obsession. And yes, I know this is story is my ticket to something more. You mean redemption, glory, call it what you like. Surely you know he's not evil or a threat. You yourself proved he was innocent in the killing of that policeman. Nikki's like, and actually it should be policeman, it should be that boy, so there you go. Mickey's, and I know he is responsible for at least two deaths that we know of. And Annie pauses and she gives a little smile. You don't believe in psychic ability, do you? That's all right. I understand the need for skepticism. But if you'll allow me, Mr. McGee, I'd really like to try to show you something. And she reaches out slowly and allows her, he allows her to touch him very lightly on the temples with her fingertips. And she basically then mind melts with Mr. McGee. We see her eyes, we see his eyes. Get a bit stylized here, but this is what happens also in the episode of The Psychic. When she touches someone, they goes boink, boink, boink into her eyes, into a big close-up, and you have this kind of howling wind noise. So I'm doing an approximation with that, taking a little bit of artistic license to be a little bit stylized in this. But we see her eyes, we see his eyes, and we hear Annie say, and maybe we see her mouth say this, I want you to open your mind. Despite what you say, I think you're more open than you'd like to admit, even to yourself. And she concentrates, his eyes, her eyes. Annie is like, I want you to remember Dr. Banner, Elena Marks, the last time you saw them both together, McGee's eyes lose some focus and he stares far, far away into his mind, into the past. And we see a hazy flashback scenes from the pilot. We see him and the explosion. And then further back on the steps with Banner, Banner saying, Mr. McGee, don't make me angry. Then further back inside the lab, breaking in the destroyed chamber, the footprint of the glass. He hears the car pull up. He hides in the closet. We see Banner and Marks coming down the stairs. We hear snatches of the conversation. Our friend comes back, etc. This all intercut with McGee and Annie, his eyes, her eyes, her mouth saying, remember, remember what you saw, hear what you heard, feel what you felt, his eyes. We see Banner open the closet and McGee jump back. His back hits the shelves. Annie, there. You feel it? We see it again. The moment of impact. McGee jumps back. His back hitting the shelves. Cut to McGee's eyes. And we see it again. Closer. His back. The shelves. The impact. Annie, you feel it? The impact? His eyes remembering. Seeing. Her eyes wide. Concentrating. Again. The impact. We see the container hit the floor. Annie, you hear it? 
We see it land again, slow motion, like a dream. We hear it louder, exaggerated, the thump of impact with the floor. Annie, now you smell that, the liquid. We see the liquid slowly pour from the container. We see McGee trying to blag to, about his being there to Banner, turning it back at him, accusing them, daring them to call the police. Annie, you were talking, you were caught, thinking fast, but somewhere your brain registers everything. You felt the shells, you heard the container hit the floor, and now you smell the liquid, acidic, there, in the back of your mind. You smelt it then, smell it now. McGee's eye, his mouth, yes. Annie, see what you did, feel what you felt, smell, hear, see. We see the impact, we hear the thump, we see the acidic smoke rising. McGee's eyes, teary, distraught, his mouth, no, Annie, whispering. It was you, Mr. McGee. We see the thump, we see the smoke, we see the impact, and then we see the explosion. We see McGee watching, thrown clear outside, and the fireball rising, and McGee staring, and seeing the Hulk emerge from the flames. We hear Annie. It was you, Mr. McGee. It was always you. And we see the ball of flame, and we hear Alina scream, and we snap back, and McGee pulls violently from her, and his eyes are filled with fears, and his face is that of a man violated. He can't believe what happened. He doesn't believe in psychics and yet and McGee's like, what was that? And Annie is the truth. McGee, it's a trick. Annie, you don't have to believe me. You don't have to believe in my gift, but you can't escape your own thoughts, your own mind. It was you, Mr. McGee. It was always you. And McGee stares at her. And then suddenly Shelby comes back in, all business. And she's like, you ready to go, Mr. McGee? And she clocks that something has just happened. And she sees how shaken he is. And she's like, what's happening here? And Annie's, Mr. McGee and I were just sharing old times. And McGee, massively shaken. Yeah, old times. And he grabs his jacket from the back of the chair and storms out past Shelby and the garden out of the apartment. And Shelby and the lady look at each other for a moment. And Shelby, again, you know, exchanges her hand. Uh, well, uh, Annie exchanges her hand to Shelby to shake goodbye, but Shelby just turns away, you know, smiles, but, you know, she doesn't like contact. And she's like, you know, let's go. And she and the guard are about to leave. Um, Shelby kind of looks to Annie for explanation about McGee, but Annie just sort of smiles and shrugs it off. Um, and, you know, Shelby ignores the outstretched hand and says, the army thanks you. And as Shelby stands at the door, Annie steps up close and just allows Shelby to brush past her on her way out. And Annie, we see her eyes and we see a clock and we move in and we see her eyes and we move in and we see the time. It's 12 past 3 p.m. And we see the ticking second hand. We see the date in the center of the clock is April 12th, 3.12 p.m. April 12th. 3.12 p.m. Tick, tick, tick. And then we snap back and Annie shakes herself out of that and she meets Shelby's gaze and smiles. And Shelby says, thank you for your help, ma'am. And Annie closes the door and then says to herself quietly, thank you for yours, Captain. So we cut. It's the Culver Institute, a bit of time, you know, a few hours later. It's now night, it's, uh, heavily fortified. But, you know, now from the outside, it still looks almost normal, but, you know, there's a lot going on there. Now, Banner 
he gets past security at Colbo, he sneaks in dressed as that janitor, he does a goodwill hunting, even though in, you know, he's done that before. And he gets further and further in, there's no sign of a trap, it really seems like it's normal, this Colbo Institute, but you know, he's being super careful, he's getting further and further inside, and he's in the, within sight of the machine, he sees Ben's machine, really looks like he might make it. Now we cut back to Brigitte, the revelation is self-denied at first, but is instrumental, of course, in, you know, he's, he's still fucked up. They arrive back at Colbert. McGee is acting all strangely and kind of ignoring Shelby, and he goes right up to the Major and says the Hulk must be taken alive. He's not a monster. Gotta be taken alive. You can't be pulling this poison dart shit. But that's, this doesn't go down well with, with the Major. Banner, meanwhile, he's at the machine, and as he enters the lab, he triggers a silent alarm and the major is alerted. And in the major's office, by the way, there's like loads of little TV monitors, loads. And they're all showing different security angles and different cameras. And that, that comes come back to that quite a lot. But he's like, he looks, he's alerted. The major sees, he looks at the screen from inside and he's like, oh my God, he's already inside. The troops scramble and everyone goes nuts. The banner realizes he's been rumbled. He bolts, like, oh my God, he's right in the center now of this building. He has to work his way back out through all the layers of security. He almost gets caught, but he legs it some more. There's a chase. He's in a panic down corridors, up stairways, troops all around. He runs down another corridor. It's like a maze trying to get out as the net closes around him. He's cornered. A guard tries to shoot a dart, but misses. Another is barged out of the way by Banner, but he hits back trips up Banner, he's a bit too rough, knocks Banner down some stairs, cue the eyes, Banner bloody only hulks out, smashes things up, smashes through walls, throws a guard or two around, he sees his way out, the window, Hulk going right up to that, McGee is ordered by the Major to step out into that corridor. He's used totally as bait to get the Hulk to come closer because of course of their connection. It bloody works, McGee steps out, Hulk sees him, doesn't race at him or anything, but he's like, oh, I know you, you're a bit of a cunt, and he sort of walks towards him a bit, you know, and he's hesitating, and he's, but he starts towards McGee, and McGee soundlessly is like, oh, sorry, and Hulk looks like he may have even understand, tilting his head a bit like a dog, then the Major zaps Hulk with his Electro Hulk Zapper Mega Death Red, red Lightning Ray, fucking gets Hulk right in it, uh, Major's like, we got him. At first, Hulk is enraged, but then his eyes lose some focus and he starts to chill out in the red light. Hulk tries to shake it off. He roars in pain and rage. He struggles. The zap is too strong and he goes down to his knees. The majors, more! They zap him harder. McGee stares in horror. He shouts, stop it! Then the Hulk starts to de-Hulk. Everyone stares. He continues to de-Hulk. He shrinks. Everyone stares. He de-hulks right there in front of the Major, the guards, Shelby, and McGee. McGee sees it all. Banner is on the floor in rags. He slowly opens his eyes. He gains focus, looks about, sees the guards, sees the Major, and then he sees McGee. They lock eyes, both totally freaking out, and McGee's Banner. And a title comes up, to be continued. And that's the end of part one. Oh, so yeah. that's exciting. <laughs>
I started laughing but couldn't play it because of the feedback we're getting probably about two minutes ago because I could see that coming. Uh, Sheppy, the storyteller, is coming out here. It's very exciting. I know, I'm really in it. I'm really in it. Well, look, I'll just barrel straight into three. I've always been here all night. Part two, end of the road, part two. McGee and Banner stare at each other. McGee opens his mouth to speak when the Major makes a gesture to the troops and the two come forward and half march, half drag McGee away from Banner. Well, and he's all protesting heavily. He's placed in another room away from Banner. Now there's very little dialogue and the following is shown in sort of a semi-montage where Banner is half dragged and is just woken up state to a holding room. He's given blue kind of like prisoner uniform and we, he sees a nurse stepping forward with an empty needle and he knows that he's gonna have blood taken. So he begins to protest and struggle so the major nods and he's held fast by guards and is injected first with a sedative which keeps him awake but really dopey and then they take his blood in a vial and all the while the major looks on in quiet triumph banner is then half dragged into in his dopey state to a highly secured interrogation room box thing where he is secured to the table and the floor by large padded hand and ankle restraints similar to those used in hospitals. He is left defeated in his room, uh, his head slumped maybe due to the drugs, maybe due to knowing that it's all over. And the door is closed on him with a thump and a lock. And we cut to McGee, he's trying to reason with the guards, but he's being totally ignored. The major enters with Shelby, and McGee tries to tell him that he must speak with Banner, but he's denied. Life imprisonment is still hanging over McGee's future unless he behaves. He just says he just wants to speak to Banner. He's refused. He locks eyes with Shelby, and she kind of looks back with a little bit of empathy, but she says nothing. And Major and Shelby, they leave McGee ranting and fuming. They walk down the corridor, and Major says he's not going to report to the general only after Banner has shown some signs of compliance. So again, we see Ben, and he's still locked up. He's, I think he's in the general's office, in fact. And he's there, and he's protesting everything. And he's still assured you know, you're not a prisoner, but you will remain. You will remain not a prisoner until the major gives reason to become one. And the major's like, you've been very helpful, Dr. Trader. Now stay still, stay quiet, wait in my office and watch the show. So gesturing to the huge bank of monitors, Ben looks in disgust and the major leaves. Ben's eyes never move. You know, they move from one image to the next. And then they rest on the screen showing the zapper right outside the office. And Ben turns to his guard and says, any chance I could use the bathroom? And we cut to Annie, the psychic lady in her apartment, far away in another city. Um, she is at home and she dials a number on the phone. We don't see who she's called, but we hear a muffled male voice. And she says, it doesn't matter how I got your number, you wouldn't believe me anyway. And listen, you don't know me, but we have a mutual friend. And on April 12th, at 12 minutes past three, he'll need your help. Cut. Uh, Major enters Banner's cell. Banner is less dopey, but is quiet and resigned to his fate. Uh, Major tells Banner he wants the secrets of the Hulk, and any help he gives in providing this info will help Banner's case. So he wants to use his blood. He was disgraced after Prometheus, but he wants to create super soldiers. He wants to do, you know, I saw what you look like when you were like in between Hulk and you. So I want an army of that uh, and you'll help me with your blood and all the experiments. Um, 
and he's like, super soldiers, Banner. Imagine the lives we can save, the good we can do. And Banner, with a quiet, sad smile, meets the Major's eyes, showing no fear. He says, it amazes me. No matter the century or the man, the words are always the same. Weapons, might, strength. It always starts with apparent good intentions. But the road to war and hell are nothing, if not paid just so. And the Major's like, typical backward thinking. If the needs of your country aren't enough to motivate you, then think on this. There is no escape, no, no due process. Hell, there's not even a damn arrest report. You don't exist, Dr. Banner. You yourself made sure of that. So we can hold you forever. We can keep you in any style most befitting a prisoner of your stature. Chained, bound, drugged, kept in the darkest, deepest hole this army has to offer. Or... If you decide to help us to use the mind God saw fit to grant you, well, hell, you could live a very comfortable life. I'll make sure of it. And Banner's like, ah, a comfortable life. As your prisoner, comfort, luxury even, sun-kissed views framed by armed guards and high walls. Frankly, I'd rather the restraints. At least they're honest. And the Major is furious and he says, have it your way, doctor. We'll see how long you maintain this lofty position from a hundred feet underground. And he storms out, the door banging shut. Meanwhile, Shelby convinces him to let McGee talk to him. You know, maybe he still has a purpose after all. Maybe she'll get, he'll get something out of it. So McGee is allowed to go in and he sits down and it's a room and it's Banner on one side of the table and it's McGee on another. And Heat has nothing on this motherfucker. Banner and McGee facing each other, <laughs> metal table, Banner and his restraints. I haven't even written the full conversation. It's, it's, I, don't, I don't want it to exist. I want it to be out there. The conversation is charged. They have it out. But McGee, uh, righteousness has been severely tempered. Banner comments on this and he's like, you know, five years of cat and mouse. I thought you'd be more vitriolic. And McGee's Maybe I would have been two years ago, hell, maybe even a few days ago, but I, I wielded a shield in this crusade, the shield of righteous. And yes, I was looking for the story. I became obsessed. I needed to catch you. I had to. But the whole while, the shield I used to justify it all, the sacrifices I made to myself, those around me, it was false. My whole castle of resolution was built, it seems, on sand. You, the beast. You were the murderer, or so I thought I could chase you forever, knowing I was right, justified. Obviously, the creature didn't cause your death, nor did he kill Dr. Marx's. And Banner's like, I don't know what happened that night. I, I was trying to save. And McGee says, it was me, Banner. I caused the explosion. I caused the death of Elena Marx and, in effect, yourself. I didn't know. And Banner's like, how do you know this now? And McGee's like, I'll show you. And then, you know, during this, we have the occasional cut to um, the other side of the one-way mirror where Shelby and the Major are watching. And Major is impassive, but Shelby is reacting with more and more empathy. Now, McGee has Shelby or a guard bring in a TV and they show clips, you know, some of these talking heads to Banner. We can throw three or four and get some really random cameos. And Banner sees these clips of people talking about their interactions with the Hulk he finally sees the good he did firsthand. In Montana, maybe there are people talking from homes or jails, think tanks, taxi depots, 
glam rock bands, carnival folk, and more. Not all praise the Hulk, but those who don't are all speaking from jail, and they curse the Hulk for indirectly putting them there. Banner is shaken and has had his head turned. Uh, the lights come up, because I like the idea there's always it's like a cinema, no matter what office or prison they're in, it's like the lights come back up after a clip. Um, Banner and McGee argue more. McGee has shown Banner what he always suspected over the years. The Hulk never hurt anyone that he saw. And McGee's like, oh, he shook them up, broke some bones, but he never attacked. The Hulk is a farce of good, Dr. Banner. You've spent so long hiding, running away, not just from me, but from your own fear. But imagine, what if instead of turning this power away, hiding it, smothering it in the dark, you let it out into the light? What if you pointed it in a direction that needed help? What if you were proactive toward your force of good? David, what if? Through this conversation, it all comes out, anger and frustration and so on, is what turns the Hulk. A lot of information about the Hulk in general comes out. He will not hurt the innocent. It all comes from gamma, hidden strength that all humans have, all of that. It all comes out, and the Major is drinking it all up from behind his mirror. The Major orders McGee to be removed from the room, and he's then, you know, he's forced to leave. Jack, you know, as he's being dragged out, implores Banner to do something to help himself, which Banner says there's nothing more he can do. Major now reports to the general, says he has enough info to proceed with or without the prisoner's cooperation. The general gives him the go-ahead to take things to the next level. General says David Banner is believed to be dead. Who are we to dispel that truth? Major smiles. Major tells McGee it's over. He can go. And so long, you know, he's going to be under close watch, but all charges will be dropped, you know, as long as he remains silent. Uh, McGee asks the Major about his plans for Banner, and Major's like, that's entirely up to him. McGee's like, you took blood? Uh, and uh, the Major's, with or without Dr. Banner's help, this is a power that shall be mined and used. This I can promise you, Mr. McGee. And maybe when the time is right, that story and this one will be yours to tell. McGee's a bribe, and Major's, I don't need a, to bribe when a threat works just as well. Better, but no, not a bribe nor threat. Payment for all your hard work leading us to this point. Goodbye, Mr. McGee, and thank you. We'd never have caught him without you. And McGee is escorted out of the compound. Uh, the Major goes in, he sits down with Banner and he lays it all out for him. It's over. The Major says to Banner, if you won't help us unlock the secrets of your power, the knowledge will be stripped from you. You will be taken from here to the most secure subterranean facility the army has to offer. You will be kept alive, subdued and harvested. Your cells, your tissues, bone marrow, spine fluid, brain matter, will all be systematically removed from you in the process starting almost immediately. I finally run out of patience with you. Well, this is it, Banner, the end of the road. Now McGee is showing the door. All charges have been dropped. He is at, you know, he's at the last checkout of the Institute, the last security checkout. Uh, outdoor and freedom lies ahead and he stops and he thinks and McGee, he turns and he looks back the way he came resolute and he strides back to the security guard and he tries to get through you know, the door to the next level but the guard is stony. Now Shelby sees this on the security monitor and she steps out and confronts McGee. McGee talks her into letting him see 
just get in to see Banner one last time. Shelby is hard-nosed army officer, but she's seen things over the course of all this, and she heard what was said to Banner about the whole harvesting stuff. And so and she sees something in McGee's eyes. So she gives the guard permission to let McGee back into Banner. McGee sits down from him one last time. McGee says to Banner, they tell me you've given up, that it's all over. Is this true, Banner? I will not be a part in converting my condition into a weapon. McGee, I understand. You're weak, selfish. You're so wrapped up in your own self-importance, you don't care who that hurts, who you hurt. Banner's like, what? McGee, look at you, look at what you've become, a man? Barely. Shelby watches this on the monitor, confused. Shelby to herself, what the hell are you doing, McGee? McGee, the Dr. Banner I knew was strong-willed, bloody-minded, nothing would stand in his way, and John Doe, I knew him even better, five years on the run. Elusive, cunning, a warrior without flagging, inner strength and not the green kind, deep stamina, resourceful like nothing I've ever seen, never, ever giving up. And now, the man sitting before me isn't David Banner, he isn't John Doe, he's a shell, I wouldn't recognize you and neither would she. David's like, what? And Mickey's, Elena Marks, she dies for you, Banner, you selfish toad, she died, and how many others? Who has suffered for your actions or worse inactions? The women have died for you, Banner. And David's like, no, no, that's not what. And McGee, why you've given up, remember? No passion, no anger. You pretended that David Banner was dead for so long, he might as well be. And we cut to behind the glass, and Shelby finally realization dawning. Oh my God. And she moves like lightning to a large red alarm button, and her hand shoots out, but then freezes hovering just over it and she turns and looks back into the room and Banner's like you don't know what you're talking about Mickey's like sure blame someone else that's all you do blame others and hurt everyone else Banner's like stop it and in his office the major is about to leave and he glances at the monitors and he sees McGee and Banner in the room and the major's like what and he hurries out at top speed go back to McGee and he's like one dead woman after another with you isn't it Banner you changed your name so many times, but it was always you, smashing your way out of trouble, never stopping to see who was hit by the debris. It's what you always feared, right? And yet the bodies kept coming. And Banner's, stop it, and cut to the corridor, and the Major grabs two guards, and like, come with me. We cut to Shelby's hand hovering over the button, and we cut to McGee, a beat, and then heated. And what about your wife? And Banner grows very still, and he looks at McGee. And Shelby's breath catches in her throat in a gasp. And McGee says, it wasn't me who killed her. It wasn't the Hulk. It was you. And Banner, stop it. And Shelby's hands hovering over the alarm. And Shelby's like, damn it, Jack. And McGee, your wife in the car, you were driving right. And yet you didn't save her, did you? Did you? And Banner looks at him. And the Major bursts into the Shelby room with the guards. And the Major shouts, stop. And McGee softly says to Banner, did you even try? And Banner, screaming, deep voice, eyes already green, stop it! And Shelby presses the alarm, and McGee stands like lightning and moves back. And David Banner turns into the Incredible Hulk, and Major screams at the guards, trank him! And the strengths are snapping, shirts ripping, stands, the shoulders rush into the room and fire, the darts hit the floor. 
the tips bent. The Hulk grabs one guard and throws him through the mirror, exposing those watching. The others turn and try to run, but Hulk grabs him too, throws him back after his friend. The Major is scrambling for his holstered firearm. Now the Hulk stands before me, McGee, the two alone in the small room, and they stare, the Hulk's face hard to read. McGee then gestures with his head and eyes toward the door. Hulk understands, gives McGee one last look, maybe with some form of understanding there, and smashes through that door and out. Major draws and aims, but it's too late. Hulk runs down the corridor, army troops in pursuit. Now it's pure Hulk. He bursts through walls, he throws soldiers. Major gets on the horn, he screams for his reinforcements. Major's like, my final trap. I'll have so many armed personnel here, not even the Hulk can burst through, even if it means he doesn't survive into the phone. He's like, that's right, Sergeant, send them all. And we hear like the tinny response, like, sir, did you say? He's like, send them all. You know, pure Gary Oldman, Leon, uh, you know, paraphrase. Uh, this is one trap not even the Hulk can escape from. That's definitely in the trailer. Uh, we see outside Culver and the secret trap, the special extra trap, it's a trap. Uh, jeeps and tanks and troops with guns and rockets. There are a lot, too much, and they pour out and they're coming down the road right towards the main entrance. And then there's a sudden roar of what can only be motorbikes. First a few and then more and more and more and a lot of motorbikes driven by the ugliest lot of Hell's Angels you've ever seen. And they drive right up the road in the other direction and stop right in front of the main gates to the Culver Institute blocking this huge army horde and a mean looking soldier races to the first biker and the massive bearded biker the mean machine and the soldier screams move these bikes and the biker says pretty calmly you have to speak to the boss and the soldier looks and the bike is semi-part and a bike rolls up and we see the driver is david's friend carl from that hell's angels episode and he's like sorry sarge this here is what you call a peaceful protest over military excessive force. You can try to move us, but... And the soldier's like, you know, you can't take all of us. And the bike is like, didn't you hear, Sarge? I said peaceful process. And if you don't believe us, you've even brought counsel. And there with them, we see from the two prison, from the prison gang app, it's Charles Napier and Teehee. And they're there. And Charles Napier says, now I know I look like a criminal, but these days we're cancelled. And we're here to see that this here protest goes smoothly. Ain't that right, Doc? And Teehee smiles and lights his pipe and says, yup. And the soldier is flummoxed. And then Teehee to the biker says, looks like we got here just in time. And the biker Carl looks at his watch and we see clearly that it is 12 minutes past three. And the biker says, no, sir. I'd say we're right on time. And he smiles. And inside the base, Major hears all the commotion reported on the radio and he throws it to the ground in fury and he screams, ready the machine! And the troops rally and they bring, they bring forth the zapper and they sit it up as last time and get ready to zap the Hulk as he smashes through one room after another, working his way out from center to freedom. And they have the beam ready. And the Major's pure, hold, hold. And the Hulk's getting closer and closer, hold. And they have him in their sights. And the Major's, fire. And the Zapper makes a noise. 
and then unwinds like the Millennium Falcon or the Excelsior that and the lights blink out and it backfires and in sort of mini wave hits the major and two of his troops and they fall back zapped and semi-stunned and the Hulk runs right up to the machine and as the major watches uh, he's all zapped and helpless Hulk smashes the shit out of the zapper and it's toast and he looks down at the major and he roars and he runs off down the corridor and the major's like but how and we cut to the major's office and we see all the destruction on all the monitors and we pull back to see Ben watching and he removes some wiring from his lab coat pocket and he smiles and drops it into the bin by the major's desk cut back to Hulk more destruction he rips a huge metal door from its hinges and uses this as a shield against bullets, also using it to plow through, knocking soldiers in all directions. He's at a junction, left or right. Shelby is at the junction as Hulk approaches. We see a sign on the wall. One branch of corridor is marked as leading to radiology. The second, there's research lab. Hulk pauses at the junction and regards Shelby, friend or foe. Shelby sees the troops back down the corridor, scrambling and readying arms. She looks pointedly at the Hulk and sidesteps to her left, blocking the corridor sign posted to radiology and leaving open the corridor to the lab. She looks at the Hulk and he looks at her and then ahead and somewhere in his mind, he's still wondering friend or foe. He looks right at her and she looks openly back and Hulk makes a base decision and he runs down the open corridor towards the lab. And a soldier, who's a really bad actor, catches up and says all out of breath, Oh no, that's leading to the laboratory. What made him choose that way? And Shelby says, dumb luck, come on. And it's the lab and the Hulk bursts in and smashes it right up. Glass shatters everywhere, test tubes, Bunsen burners, windows, shelves, tables, workbenches, machinery, all is destroyed. And in case anyone watching isn't on the ball, we have a huge close-up of the vial of blood and it's labeled banner priority and it is thrown from an exploding cabinet and it sits there for a moment in all the rubble somehow still in one piece and the hulk moves towards the window he steps on the vial utterly crushing it the troops and oh. shelby arrive in time to see the carnage and hulk turns to roar at them he then picks up the remains of a workbench and throws it through the window Outside, we see it smash out, sail through the air, land on the grass below and shatter. Moments later, Hulk jumps out, sails, lands, turns once more to the hole in the wall, gives a little roar. He sees the trooper and he also sees Shelby and McGee looking out after him. He looks at them and something other than rage is on his face for a moment. He turns and he runs and the army officer to Shelby, what shall we do, Captain? And Shelby says calmly, nothing to do, Lieutenant. He's already gone. And across the green, Hulk runs across the path, then out, out of the perimeter fence, goes straight through that, out and away. Classic Hulk. Uh, Shelby and McGee watch him go. We have an epilogue. We see McGee in his offices, a hero to his fellows, front page. The Incredible Hulk, hero by Jack McGee. Under that, army under investigation, major disgrace and a photo of the major coming out of the courthouse again, angrily waving away the photographers. Uh, Mark, the editor, is like, well done, Jack. Uh, it's the story of a lifetime. And McGee is uh, given the choice of any assignment he wants, and he smiles, and he says, maybe I'll write a book. 
and he picks up a little box of belongings from his desk, uh, indicating he's, he's, he's walking out of all this stuff. And Mark is like, you can't be serious. And McGee says to his editor of many years, well, I am serious, Mark. For the first time in a long time, I'm deadly serious. For that, I need a serious newspaper. So I quit. And he stops and he jumps the box of belongings in the trash and he picks up his typewriter and he walks out of his office carrying this, head held high. And Mark watches a gog as Jack McGee leaves the register. We have a very, very slight time jump. We see McGee he drives up to a small house, gets out of the car and walks up to the front door. Before he knocks, it opens, revealing Shelby, now in civilian attire. Her hair is down, she looks relaxed. Jack is at ease, soldier, and he enters her home. Inside is Ben, and there also is David Banner. And Jack says, hello, Dr. Banner. And Banner says, hello, Mr. McGee. And Jack says, I was half expecting you to be gone. And Banner, as soon as I saw you step out of your car, I almost bolted for the nearest window. I guess that's one habit I'll have to get used to ignoring. And Jack's, oh, I don't know. Bolting for windows can be a useful skill. Banner, my life seems to have been nothing but bolting, hiding. In fact, someone I once knew said to me that at the first sign of trouble, I would hide in the shadows. Well, now it's time to stride into the light. Maybe do some good on purpose for a change. And we learn Ben is still working on the gamma machine. And David says, keep me informed as to your progress. And Ben's like, you'll move along a whole lot faster if I have your help, David. And Banner smiles and says, no rush. And Shelby says, what do you have for us, Jack? McGee, buddy of mine on the crime desk at the Times tells me of a group of black market profiteers that are selling bad goods, driving the local community out of business. And if they keep it up, they'll drive them out of their homes too. And Shelby, so maybe this community could use some friendly help. Banner, that sounds like something I could do. McGee, friendly, you mean jolly. Banner, jolly and green. McGee, let me know how it goes. Oh my I'll keep my ear to... <laughs> Let me know how it goes. I'll keep my ear to the ground. Keep you updated where else and who else could use some of your special brand of help to Shelby. You're sure you won't miss military life? Shelby, I have a feeling my new job will prove just as exciting. And Ben, more so, quite possibly. David, my friends, let's hit the road. And off they go. Shelby and Banner walk to her car. McGee and Ben stay and watch. We pull back and the lonely man theme kicks off. But a new arrangement, more optimistic for the new road ahead. Credits. Flipping exhibit. And there's a tagline. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> go for it. No one runs forever. Oh, that's nice. Flipping so, so there you go. So, so obviously far too long. Uh, epic. Um, ridiculous but I just want to say obviously not as um, you know not as definitively the end as you would probably have expected but Kenneth Johnson always said he was going to cure the Hulk at the end if he had been given the chance and I don't really want that I, I want him to stay the Hulk I just want him to be happy about it the so stepping sort of on the vial there Sheppy what a tease for that <laughs> Jesus <laughs> um, 
That was amazing, <laughs> Sheps. Jesus. I mean, you know, the perfect way to do it, I would suggest. And so many lovely callbacks, not, you know, even just the bloody rubbish actors as extras. Right. You know, it's just great. You know, but just, I, and I wanted people just from his past to help him. You know, sort mm. of to come together. The bike is great, and you're not that right. yet, but you know, it's just nice. Yeah, it's cool. yeah. <laughs> Blimey, shit. Um, yeah, I mean, if I couldn't use that actress, and if it was in terrible taste to recast the psychic, I would use the super, super genius brainy girl, and like she hypnotizes McGee, and she's like worked out through massive Sherlock Holmes style deductions, the phone numbers to everyone she needs to contact and stuff she's like mega 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 brain but it's better if it's the last line in the episode in fact is banner saying my friends let's let's get out of here let's hit the road and it's like that i want to mention there's a thing in the hulk which happens quite often where banner when he likes someone will refer to them as my friend and they'll always be like hey, David, don't leave, stay here and have sex with me. Or, hey, David, don't leave, let's start a business together. Or, you'll always have a home here, David, that sort of thing. And you always kind of go, like, why don't you just stay, man? But he's always like, goodbye, my friend. And he, and he always does, you know, he, like about every four or five episodes, he'll call someone like my friend in a non-antagonistic <laughs> way. And it's nice. So him saying my friends at the end was deliberate in that he's, and he's not just saying goodbye, he's leaving with them. So that's just something I wanted to mention yeah, as a sort nice of self-reflection. Are we meant to assume, therefore, then, in episodes where he doesn't say goodbye, my friend, he <laughs> fucking hates them. Like, he's yeah. like, God, he can't wait to get out of there. awful. Like, you know, yeah. he just Start a business drove like a snail. It was horrible. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> I had the worst few days of my life working for your taxi company. I have to get out of here. Yeah, all of that. Yeah, When he doesn't say it, you know. Yeah, he cannot start hitching soon enough. Yes. Now look, I don't know what what time is it with you. Are you? Uh, it's okay. I mean, I'm I'm alright. My mine is a one episode of ship, so it's not a double ep. And uh, I'm in yeah. no rush. Well, cool, lovely. Well, look, should we just bloody launch into the counter pitch? What do you think? Nice. And just uh, nice. okay, ship. So there's there's some really interesting similarities, not least around how you leave things and um and this the slight buddiness of things as well which is interesting but i love the reveal i love using that as the cliffhanger i mean just, there's so much to say i love about that when i do the re-listen on it to edit it i'm going to just drop you a very thorough email and say yeah this bit was amazing by the way and all that but um but yeah but for 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 whatever expediency we can get and with huge apologies to any hulk fans out there that this is following that but you know just as a little bit of a footnote to the experience let me give pish you posh, pish posh, pish double posh. Posh. well anyway um so i i'm going to go with the kenneth johnson written and directed sheppy california dreaming is the title of my one um i've got bill bixby jack colvin your man charles siebert as well back as ben um and um and twist susan sullivan is back um, this one as well let's imagine there's a wonderful pre-cred you know tease of what's going to happen in the episode for this one exactly to your point but um, (laughs) and then we start with mcgee pulling up to an old farmhouse in the midwest and the hulk has swept through the area again he's again behind it and he's basically 
he, he's he's talking to people about it. You're just interrogating some, I don't know, some guy at the farm or whatever who's had his barn door blown open or whatever. You know, it's again a bit media res. We don't know what's happened um, or anything. But while he's interrogating the person, he gets a call from the National Register saying, "Wrap it up, McGee. Come on, you've got to come home. This is getting ridiculous." So. He, he, we then just travel back from the farmhouse with him. He's obviously not happy about that. He's not really going to play ball, but, you know, essentially he's taken that call and been a bit antsy, goes back to his boarding house where he's been staying to, to investigate this. I'm sort of imagining, I don't know why, like the Groundhog Day type boarding house, but very earthy, but it's not in the city. This is still in, in, in rural America, let's say, in the Midwest. And, um, and there's a sweet old lady there with her apron, on and um, offering him breakfast uh, and she says you know you were up very early this morning Mr McGee and she offers him his breakfast and he's like no no I'm fine I'm fine and he just takes a coffee and he's looking out the window and he's looking out and her husband and son are changing a tire outside on a ute it's looking increasingly like you know unstable and um and the, the owner of the bed and breakfast is basically saying, well, now where, you're obviously going to check out, where did I put my receipt book ledger? And she's hunting around the place for the receipt book uh, ledger. And as she is, the oh, sorry, before this happens, she, she finds it finally, you know, having faffed around and all the while the tension cranking outside with the jack, you know, looking a bit unwobbly, unstable. There's lots of callbacks to the pilot here, Sheppy, basically. Um, nice, nice. Alert. Um, but, you know, the... She's um, she's hunting for a receipt, but finally finds it in the front of her apron, of course, you know, and says to Mr. McGee, you know, like all good treasure hunts, it's always in the, the first and most obvious place, isn't it? You know, that kind of thing. And, um, and that just gets the old McGee clock ticking a bit further upstairs. At the end of that little exchange, the U collapses outside, but the, the husband manages to somehow hold the car up as his son oh. like wriggles out, looking a bit disheveled, obviously. Big commotion. Everyone runs out from the boarding house, obviously. And McGee's like, how'd you manage to do that? And the guy has no idea how he's managed to do it. You know, he just did. And, of course, this is all triggering McGee back to the, the early part of this and that early experiment you alluded to already, Shepard. So we cut then to David Banner. And he is in a local town, perhaps up the road, maybe a few kilometres. Um, he's in a diner drinking a coffee um, in, in borrowed clothes of some sort, you know. And the guy who's been reading a newspaper next to him leaves. He sees in the newspaper renowned Californian doctor, uh, and I've called him Ben Bruce. <laughs> because <laughs> um, they just didn't go with the Bruce and the thing. So Ben Bruce has passed away. Oh. And he sees that and in the obituaries or whatever of the paper. And, you know, Bixby, without even saying a word, decides with his eyes, I've said, because he's got good acting, isn't he? <laughs> Always great acting. Maybe it's time to head home. And so um, we, uh, we then cut back to McGee. He's now back in the office at the National Register. I've said this some Murtaugh-style desk shenanigans from Lethal Weapon 2, so not condoms, but giant sweet quarantines, so it made me laugh when he did the Green Giant reference just there, <laughs> um, and, and all that sort of thing. So, And he's going to pretend to work on some two-bit assignments, you know, and I've just been watching Afterlife at the moment. Have you seen Afterlife, Shepard? Oh, yeah. Yes, I love it. <laughs> I'm very early, but you know when he sees that water stain and it's the Kenneth Branagh that's come yes. through on the wall? <laughs> 
<laughs> I think maybe like some really shit reporting gig like that. That it's maybe yes. Arnie in the original Terminators come through as a nice Ferrigno, um, you know, synergy. <laughs> but anyway, um, doesn't really matter. Whatever. Um, but as he's doing that. He is still obviously beavering away on his his obsession and he's starting to lift some of the research on those people who had inordinate strength and crazy moments and decides then to go and visit the Culver Street building. And um, he, uh, while he's there, goes in there and I've gone different to you, Sheppy. Yours is obviously like military there. It's all there. They've got, there's a lot of funding still for it. Basically, Dr. Ben Bruce is the last vestige of this place. There's freaking nothing. It's like the place is no security. It's just, he walks in, it's just there's been budget cuts. It's just, you know, they're packing it up because he's died now and the, the project is over ostensibly, whatever he's working on with Gamma. So totally different tangent on that. Printer. <laughs> yes. And um, so anyway, he the, the culvert itself is up on like the 20th, 20th floor, let's say. McGee goes up there and he meets... A, um, a Dr. Samantha Marks, um, who is Dr. Elena Marks's sister, turns out, um, being played by the same lady. He asks if Culver is still interested in super um, human strength stories, and he gives the details of the farm he stayed at that morning. Um, and he's flirting with Samantha Marks. <laughs> he, he, like, he obviously remembers Elena and stuff, and he's sort of talking to her, and he's like, oh, we didn't know that Elena had a sister, all this sort of stuff. But then, you know, he's basically all but one step away from dinner, and happy old McGee, and things are looking up a bit there, if only he could stop thinking about green men instead. So anyway, that, that happens, that exchange is given other the details of the farm. Um, and then classic Game of Thrones style I've put here, insofar as we've spent years with Banner just going very slowly across America. Doesn't matter now, he's in LA. <laughs> <laughs> and he's in California, and he's just uh, <laughs> he's crossing a road, you know, blah blah blah, and um, and he sees, and, and this is sort of a real jump through, probably what is about ten minutes of the episode, and kind of gives it the California dreaming in a way, Sheppy, because he sees uh, Samantha Marks, you know, getting a coffee somewhere or something, you know, and starts to think, is he imagining? Is he imagining seeing Elena and all that sort of stuff, you know? And there's kind of a little bit of a a two there in terms of he doesn't know whether or not she's real or not and then essentially ends up ultimately finding her uh following her to the culver institute building he puts on a bad disguise i'm saying like a blonde wig or something or a cap whatever he can get his hands on and he goes into the building again it's really desolate people are still gutting it moving out and there's no one at the desk he takes the the uh the cranky old lift um up to the top I debated having a whole moment with him getting there when McGee was there and they're missing each other on the lift, but that's been done loads of times. And anyway, <laughs> he meets her again, you know, didn't know Elena had a sister. He he doesn't reveal that he's Dr. David Banner, friend of Dr. Bruce, but he says he's looking for Dr. Bruce's office and just a friend of the family and all that sort of stuff. But she is immediately very savvy and sus is, is Samantha Marks. Um, and she's a slightly different personality to Elena. She's more brusque. She's a little bit, you know, um, and she just says that everything that was Bruce's has been taken back to his house. Let me show you out, essentially. Um, and so she takes uh, Dr. David Bannon to the lift. Of course, the place is a bit run down. They get stuck in the lift on the way down with her showing him out. And this is just a little Hulk idea I had, Sheppy, where the lift basically stuck as it is then starts to get rickety. He's getting stressed with the confines of it. The lift snaps, 
plummets and he hulks out as it's plummeting and basically it before it hits the button bottom sorry his hulkage out saves her you know she manages to like essentially wrap his arms around her and save her and then he then like in the he leaves her in the wreckage but runs out of the building as hulk there's basically some people take really good footage of the hulk as he leaves the building this is the city people have got cameras and stuff you know um mid rampage and um and then we see the rampage on a news footage and coming back and mcgee has suddenly got a little bit of respect from his colleagues he's watching it on the screen where he is um, and people say, oh, McGee, you're right all along sort of thing, you know, but McGee's sort of really down because the story was his to fully break, you know, and um, he's quite gutted about it. And and anyway, you know, one of his friends, whatever says, you know, you could still be the ones to to catch him, you know. Anyway, he, he keeps researching and he finds out in this scene that Dr. Bruce has died, you know, and that that's linked, you know, to the whole Culver Institute thing. We then see Bruce, uh, sorry, David Banner opposite the house of Dr. Bruce, the family home, being proper creepy. He's a very yeah. creepy little skulker, isn't he? And he's the family that. leaves in a car. Banner breaks into the house, starts to slowly snoop around the house, um, looking through drawers and stuff. Other, and all sorts until he finds a picture of him and Bruce on a fishing trip. We know he likes fishing from his Prometheus shenanigans. <laughs> he, uh, he unclips the frame, shakes out the picture, and there is a piece of folder paper in the back of the picture with heaps of formulas and stuff regarding gamma and all that kind of thing. We flash back to Banner and Bruce working together with huge, you know, this is back in the pilot era. They're close to harnessing gamma rays to specifically pinpoint and neutralize all cancer. That's what they've been working on as well, you know, the side project. And Bruce nice. says to David in the flashback, is, until it's properly tested, it could also be used to be weaponized and kill the cells in any living organism in seconds as well, so that we could both cure and kill the cells. And um, until we find, you know, until we can harness this, we've got to keep it safe, David, all this sort of stuff. And then while they're talking in the flashback, they're interrupted by one of the families from the pilot who's come in for their interview appointment and there's a nice little bow synergy there to that, you know, and then David leaves the room to go and film them talking about their extraordinary strength. Anyway, end of flashback, back to present day, McGee turns up outside the same house, um, the Bruce family home, and starts to peer through the window, sees the outline of Banner tucking this formula into his trousers and rings the doorbell. Banner looks through the keyhole, sees it's McGee, immediately does what you're talking about like runs out of the place breaks the glass of the back door french window whatever over the garden fence ferris bueller style <laughs> but the the fence the, the glass and what have you has caught him and he hulks out it is you know with the, the stress of that situation tearing his trouser pocket the formula falls out of the trouser pocket never thought about that like he must lose a lot of keys and bits and bobs yeah, and you know, um, and which McGee then obviously finds in the yard, the formula that's fallen out of the pocket. Then Hulk runs through the neighbourhood. And I've got two things that would be nice to see Hulk do, which is so stupid. I'm thinking it'd be good if Hulk, if someone's taking like the, maybe the very first selfie with a real camera, but Hulk photobombs it completely. Like, we see it go, <laughs> and then they get the camera picture. Like, it could be a Polaroid. Yeah, so then the person waves it and you see that and they react like, oh. First Hulk selfie. And then this, Jeffy, I don't know whether this has ever happened, but I want it to happen, where a kid's about to eat an ice cream, Hulk like snatches it, (laughs) like that, and then eats a bit of it, and then gets a freeze, a brain freeze from the ice cream, and then goes, 
Anyway, nearly there. So he um, he he takes uh, McGee takes this formula to Doctor Samantha Marks to see what she makes of it. Also, obviously, to try and uh, ask her out for dinner. Um, she suggests that it could be used in various ways, including to help this Hulk thing that's running rampant through the. Uh, through the streets and McGee's aware enough to know that someone's turning into it now, you know, and thinks maybe this could be a good chance to capture the Hulk and puts a full front page ad in the paper saying, you know, call in the Hulk. We can, we have the cure essentially, you know, and um, Banner now staying in a motel out of town sees this full page ad in the national register decides he's going to meet um, and and set, calls the paper anonymously, you know, maybe with a little, I don't know, being sneaky, doesn't really matter. This starts to unravel here, Sheppy. Um, <laughs> no, decides to um, meet in the, um, suggests they meet in the now abandoned um, Culver building. And, and the, the Culver building, by the way, which still inexplicably has all the appropriate equipment they're still going to need for this experiment. Um, and then uh, I've got Banner, like just a proper sort of early 80s, four minute creeping around, waiting for them, for them to show up. So, you know, sort of a bit weird and haunting. And then like, basically, and I, I mean, I, I, I feel weird saying this, Chevy, because you've done such a beautiful job of the, um, the, the Banner McGee moment so this is a throwaway but basically mcgee just sort of says john to him and he turns around and um, and of course we get the banner banner you know i thought you died and then you know he's and banner sort of says you know in many ways i did and then mcgee sort of you saved my life why you know and they have a little bit of a moment like you I want to kind of keep that yeah. as its own bottled thing whatever it was so i haven't even really tried to write the dialogue for it um so we then see Dr. Uh, Samantha Marks come through. She offers to help. They sit him down. They tie him up. They're going to gammer him up, you know. And then over their dialogue, McGee starts to realize we're actually going to lose the Hulk here. We're going to lose the story. And um, and and basically, um, he realizes he needs the full story. He could, this can't be happening. Anyway, David is strapped in, um, all set to happen. And McGee is getting very anxious about this and is starting to ask questions of uh, Marks. She basically turns around, shoots McGee. She's brought oh a gun with God. her. Turns out she's a rotter. Um, and McGee is down. Now, we don't know where McGee's been shot. It's one of those classic TV shows. He's shot. Yes. He's down. We don't know where he's been hit. What a twist. Um, yeah, she's, she switches it to cell killing. She's got some lucrative deal with the government. She wants to test it on the Hulk to see what happens. Um, of course, she's underestimated the whole thing. Um, as she starts this procedure of cell killing with the gamma rays, the Hulk hulks out during the procedure, breaks this little chair structure in a little nod to the first one. The Hulk starts a fire in the building with some sort of shenanigans in how they're, um, they're fighting out. McGee stirs, gets himself out of the building as it's starting to get on fire through the stairwell or what have you given the lift is pretty much screwed. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and as the building's in flames, the Hulk, um, in a show of like, I guess, you know, uh, God, I'm forgetting the word I'm looking for here. Good but, you know, form. Yeah, good form, good faith. Um, carries Dr. Marks out of the building, turns back into um, David and gets a moment of peace to something you alluded to earlier. And she says, David, my sister always loved you. Like, And she sort of says that to him as a sort of a, like, you know, it's a, 
I guess you've saved my life, even though I'm a bad person and I got my head turned by this crazy lucrative government deal. And anyway, so that's just the denouement of that. Then we see Banner going to visit McGee in hospital. McGee's now the one strung up, you know, and uh, and, um, and McGee sort of says to him, you know, I can help you clear your name if you want. And Banner says, with all respect, Mr. McGee, I just don't think you can. It's gone too far. And McGee, then, and their, their last exchange is, you know, I won't let it go, Banner. And basically Banner just says, it looks like I'm still going to have a head start. And he looks at he's still got both his legs up. You know, he's obviously, uh, he's been shot, but maybe he's got both his legs up. <laughs> but, anyway, um, but yeah, essentially, he's got his head start because McGee's in hospital and he's not going anywhere. And then we just get the link, ding, ding, ding. And, uh, and Banner oh, lovely. keeps going. May yeah. I say how, how nice it is? Because, yeah, neither of us are definitive. They're like the last episode, but it's like there must be millions of these, but let's say Cheers where it doesn't end with Sam selling the bar, for example, it ends with business as usual. Yeah. And it's like, that's nice. And in terms of we both changed the game, I'm not even saying to mine anyway, there should be another, you know, like bring it back after five years. Maybe that could be the trilogy of films in the late 80s that's a bit shit, but do like, you know, Team Hulk and everything. But in terms of yours, it's lovely. It's like a little bit different. The game has changed a bit. He knows it's bad now, blah, blah, blah. But it's um, they've got this extra strong bond and it, it's continuing. It's not the end of the end. And I'm glad neither of us killed him um, because I, you know, I wasn't sure. It's, you know, it's always an option. Yeah. That I wasn't sure you were going to win. So, um, yeah, yeah, lovely. I love it. And again, what a twist with her. And him as the Hulk carrying her out of the flame building is, of course, what he does in the pilot. And that's, you know, and that's, that's good stuff. Yeah, lovely. Mine was a callback to the pilot with the, with the green giant, the, the, the jolly green thing. Because in the pilot, McGee says the banner, and there's a cop there that we saw, you know, some sort of big green thing. And, and Elena says, what was it? Bigfoot? And McGee says, more like the jolly green giant, or not too jolly. <laughs> and so it's, <laughs> yeah, so, so it's all very tasty. And then he coins the Hulk. He says, big Hulk, <laughs> greenish tinge to the skin. It's not really a tinge, though, is it, McGee? He's full on green, but yeah. <laughs> uh, yours was wonderful, Jimmy. And I like also, yeah, tight as fuck. The opposite of mine, um, this behemoth. Yours was, was great, and it moved at a lick, and him changing in the lift was great. But obviously, mine was so bulky, so thank you for the self-indulgence. And yeah, like you said, moments like that, you might as well just really go through it and be like, and then he did this, and then this happened. It's like, yeah, fair play. But So I apologise. <laughs> yours is wonderful. Out. There's nothing to apologise for. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Perfect. So, so and it should have been a wonderful. two-parter. It's a wonderful way to go out. Thank you, Jimmy. This was a joy and good job for everything. Wonderful, wonderful stuff. All that's left, chaps, is to set the challenge for next time. And I've got a list here and I'm giggling with excitement. I'll tell you, there's six things, six things on here. I'm excited about all six, right? (laughs) Three, Three of them are probably bubbles, to be honest, but that doesn't matter. So I... I'm going to go because I, I think this is quite epic. So that's just sort of one that we're not going to care about too much. Which I, I'm really, I'm going to do next, just so you know. But 
for now. This I don't care. This I care about the least, right? So I would like either a sequel or a prequel to Forrest Gump, please, Sheppy. Oh, wow. So um, you can do what you like. You can do the father of Forrest, your grandfather, whatever, or you could do um, a sequel, you know, do whatever you want. But um, yeah, so yeah. That's, that's very tasty. Very tasty, Jimmy. Unexpected and lovely. So great. <laughs> Uh, very nice and actually uh, like you say a, a very good remedy to the whole where yeah a lot of pressure so this one just like or is what Blah. so i love it i love it jimmy yeah one neither of us will ever think this one i think it would just be nice and happy in a few choice a moments, sorbet but... yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> i had to cleanse the palate lovely stuff jimmy lovely stuff so how do we um, end well jimmy do we walk away with some tearful piano music playing? Do we hitch a lift to another adventure? Do we go green with envy? I don't know. Um, you know, according to Stan Lee, um, he did, he did, Kenneth Johnson wanted him to be called David and not Bruce because he said Bruce sounded gay. According know. to Kenneth Johnson, he didn't want it to be Bruce Banner. He didn't like the superhero alliteration, BB, whatever, you know. Um, he wanted it to not feel like a comic book. So he didn't want it to be B, so that's why it's David. So there you go. As for what to say, I don't know, Jimmy, what do you think? Is there anything that comes to mind? I don't want to get it wrong and make you angry. That's the problem. Oh, Jimmy, you wouldn't like me when I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> what a twist. <laughs> what a twist. <laughs>